What a great blessing to be here this morning. And you really suffer for the Lord here, don't you? <laughs> I'm not sure why, but the, the message today is, uh, who are the tribulation saints? And I'm like, I wonder when will the news about the tribulation come over here to this place? <laughs> it's going to be interesting. But uh, uh, hey, we live in unbelievable times, aren't we? And I wouldn't want to trade it with any other century because this generation has seen more amazing things happening within our lifetime than any other generation since the time of Jesus, since the first century. And that is amazing to me. But I must say that I feel more and more and more that we are in the beginning of our goodbye party from this world. We feel more and more and more a sense of not belonging to this place anymore. And we feel more and more and more the longing to be with him who promised that he is preparing a place for us. More and more, we understand that even patriotism isn't the right answer. Even. But I, I also must say that I've been watching and observing a growing danger within Christian circles of spending more time wanting to know the words of uh, someone whose name begins with J and is not exactly Jesus. You've got two Joes in America nowadays. One of them is in a White House and the other one is making millions making podcasts. And it's very interesting that at some point, Christians find themselves having to gather around either one of the two, and the word of Jesus is being completely forgotten. We don't mind listening to things that are filled with the F words and the S words and the whatever words, because we feel safe in this conservatism. Satan infiltrated into even the conservative camp, big time. We live in the most exciting times. We are the only generation that can see the finish line of a long race and yet, many, many times I see that Christians are more open to spend the 24 hours each day that God gives them on so many other things than the only thing that we are here for, which is giving this dying world the gospel. 
And it's not the gospel of war, and it's not the gospel of fight, and it's not the gospel of burning a city or protesting alongside with uh, the nation of Islam or others. No, it's the gospel of peace. There is finally a way to have peace with God. And that is through Jesus. There is no other hope. Not just to Israel. There's no other hope in this world. You better understand that even within the conservative realm in America and around the world, you're going to see there is a growing separation between those who trust in Jesus and those who trust in conservatism. Because eventually, we are on our way out of here. And those who preach conservatism as the way to make everything great here, they don't hold that opinion. They hold the opinion that we are making this place the place where Jesus needs to come back to. And this is why I thought this topic of who are the tribulation saints is so important to talk about because... If we even insinuate that this world is going to get somehow better because of our vote or because of our protest or because of this or because of that, unfortunately, we're putting our trust in the wrong place. And I want you to also know that from the very beginning, God never intended His own who follow Him, who are now sons and daughters, who have now the adoption, who are new people, new creation, new mind, new heart, new spirit. All of that. The only thing that we don't have new yet is the body. That's it. This is a lowly body. Look at you. <laughs> you can work out five times a day. And still, this body will not inherit the kingdom of God. And I'm not preaching not to work out. I'm just saying, stay healthy. But remember, this body is not going to enter the presence of Jesus. But I want you to know that we are watching the beginning of the great separation. And this is why the Bible made it very clear that anyone that is going to stay here and later on will be called saint is someone different than who we are. And his name is the tribulation saint and not church or the bride of Christ. So let's start with a prayer. Father, I ask now that uh, you will bless your word. May your word go forth and do that which it was sent for, your word, and never come back void. We ask, Father, that you will sanctify us by your word. Your word is truth, and we ask to be sanctified by the truth. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So in order to understand, you see, a lot of uh, Christians live in this 
mindset that the tribulation has begun and we live in the tribulation and everything we see around us. See, the last time I checked in my Bible, driving nicely along the free, the, the, the whatever you call it, highway, freeway, and then getting to this place and having a good cup of coffee and the best muffin ever <laughs> from this bakery here, I'm not sure. Listen, that's not the tribulation. That's almost heaven. <laughs> but I want you to know, the problem of so many of, and that's the reason why they confuse things, is that they don't really understand what the tribulation is all about. So I thought before we talk about the saints of the tribulation, just to give you a little taste of what the Bible says the tribulation is going to be. Tribulation is a set of events considered to be God's judgment on both the satanic host of heaven and wicked people here on earth. It's also to prepare Israel, not the church, to accept Jesus as the Messiah upon his return. And there are several names to the tribulation. The great tribulation, the wrath of God, the hour of trial, and also of course, Jacob's trouble. Each one of these names refers to a different part that is being either judged or dealt with. The great tribulation is of the entire planet. This planet is going to have great tribulation. And I'm talking about unbelievable catastrophes in global uh, 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 scope. Then there's, of course, the wrath of God, which is always against the wicked people. That's what the Bible says. Then there's the hour of trial. It's a great trial that will befall on those who live here and now are deciding to follow Christ. It's a trial. That's not the wrath of God upon them. It's a trial they go through. But of course, Jacob's trouble insinuates that the nation of Israel is not only back in the focus of God, but also is going to be shaken in so many ways to shake off religiosity, to shake off leaning on tradition and rabbinical uh, uh, teachings, and to bring them to, the, to faith in the one whom they pierced, as the Bible says in Zechariah chapter 12. Now, the day of the Lord, the tribulation, has actually three layers, and we have to understand them. It's not just dealing with a nation or with some people. It has three layers, and to pay attention, it has God's dealing with Satan and his demons, it has God's dealing with the nations around the world. And it has God's dealing with Israel. And it's, it's super important that you understand that. The span of seven biblical years can be clearly seen in Scripture once God sends two witnesses to preach to the Jewish people when there is false peace in the land, false temple is standing in Jerusalem, and people are delusional. 
And that delusional mindset had already begun. More and more and more, I've been, I, I look around and I see that people today, if they don't have Jesus, they become robots. They become easily brainwashed because they're being programmed almost by everything that is, you know, being injected into them through media and, you know, social media predominantly. The mid-tribulation will have the Antichrist declare himself as God. And of course, Israel will flee from the land and spend time in the desert until he comes, Jesus comes to save them. The seven years of tribulation can be divided to the seals, the trumpets, and the, as you can see, the bold judgment. From Revelation 6 and on, we see a description of terrible things. Not a tsunami, not just an eruption of one volcano somewhere, not a mandate of a specific vaccine or not on some senile in some office in Washington, D.C. None of that is the tribulation. We are talking about a series of events that will have global scope of, of, of magnitude. And they are all described in the book of Revelation where not even a single time the church is mentioned. You see false peace introduced to the world by the Antichrist, which is the beginning of the seven years. Then you see war and famine and death. A quarter of the population of the world will already die in the first set of judgment. You know what is the population of the world today? Roughly. Seven billion. Roughly give me the number of a quarter of seven billion. Almost two billion people will die when the tribulation just begins. So are we in the tribulation right now? You kidding me? I don't think there's that great of cappuccino in tribulation. <laughs> Earth, heaven will be shaken. 144,000 Jews will be sealed. There will be silence in heaven. See, there's two things. There's what's going on on earth and then what's going on in heaven. Two active places. We're often mixing the two. In the second set of judgments, a third of the trees in the world and the grass is destroyed. Could you imagine what's going to happen to this island alone in the tribulation? If a third of the trees on planet earth and the grass, and all I see is green all around me here, will be destroyed. A third of sea life and ships destroyed. Sun, moon, and stars, third of the stars. And we're talking about darkening of those elements in the sky. The first woe of demonic locusts, demonic locusts that is actually demons, will be flying all around. They look like demons. The prophet Joel is even talking about them. Ladies and gentlemen, there will be some crazy things happening here in this world. And I'm not talking about little drones. 
I'm talking about demons that looks like locusts, and they, they are going to affect the whole world. Fire, brimstone, a third of the people left. Remember, a quarter is already dead. Now, if a quarter is dead, let's say we're left with what? Uh, five billion. Now, a third of them is going to die. We've got the two prophets killed in Jerusalem after they preach and do miracles. And then the reign of Christ is already foreseen. But it's not the end because then comes the bulls that will have boils and all sea life is destroyed. And all water on planet earth is going to be poisoned. And scourging sun is going to hit people. And the Bible says that the sun is going to scourge people. And they know that God has the power to stop it. And yet they did not repent or give him glory, but they blasphemed his name. That's, these are people that are programmed. They're completely on the wrong place. Euphrates River is dry. The Battle of Armageddon. Worldwide earthquake. Babylon. Mystery Babylon is destroyed. Huge hailstones can destroy houses. One of them, each, can destroy home. Buildings will fall. All of that to tell you that we're not in the tribulation. Not, because, you see, when you're not well-versed with what the tribulation is, any little thing that is out of the ordinary, that is somehow stealing your freedom to do this or to do that, automatically is translated as tribulation. I hate all these mandates, but it's not a tribulation. I hate, I was in the Netherlands and uh, um, teaching and uh, we got too late and we wanted to go to eat something. All restaurants had to be closed by 8 p.m. I hated it. But it's not a tribulation. I could wait until the morning for my great breakfast. The chowda cheese waited. The coffee waited. Ladies and gentlemen, so yes, some of your freedoms are being taken away. Oh. <laughs> what did you think the last days are going to look like? Great. <laughs> the, 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 the more we progress in this world, the more... This world will feel that it's not your place anymore. And from some strange reason, we want to hold on to this world more than we want to hold on to where we go. So I love Colossians that says, If indeed you were raised with Christ, then seek those things which are above. That's it. Where Christ is. So what are the promises given to the church regarding the tribulation? It's important that you understand. First of all, the Bible says, not me, the Bible says the church is not destined for the wrath. 100%. I didn't say that. 
John 14 says, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. And I go to, Jesus said, I go to prepare a place for you. Now, Jesus was on earth when he pr promised that. So he was here. Not in Hawaii, but I'm, I'm talking about, you know, it was Jerusalem. He was here. And he says, I'm going now to prepare a place for you. What does it mean? It means earth is not your place. <laughs> it means if I prepare a place for you, I need to go. I need to leave. This is, I need to change address. I need to go. I prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, what's the point of preparing a place for us up there and not what? Coming and taking us to be there. That's why he said if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and what? The Greek implies that receive you to myself. Not, okay, receive you to myself. That where I am, you will also be. Uh, hello? Who's changing address here? Jesus says, Jesus says, wait. I need to go and prepare a, place, uh, prepare a place for you. But what's the point of preparing a place for you and not coming and taking you to be there where I am? And where I go, you know, and the way, you know. And in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verses 9 and 10, for they themselves declare concerning us what manner of entry we had to you. And how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God. And to wait for his son from heaven whom he raised from the dead. Even Jesus who delivers us from the wrath to come. Not through the wrath but from the wrath. That is going to come. Hello? First Thessalonians chapter 5, 8 to 10. But let us who are of the day be sober, putting on the breastplate of faith and love, and as helmet the hope of salvation. For God did not appoint us to wrath. But to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ who died for us. That whether we wake or sleep. Whether you're alive or you die. Some of you are alive right now. <laughs> but if tomorrow, God forbids, a car hit you and you die. You're not dead. The Bible says you're asleep. Okay? Because you're... To be absent from the Lord, from the body is to be present with the Lord. Your soul goes up there. And everybody here is, oh, he's dead. And, and you're having the fun time of your life. You're with Jesus. And then we miss you. And he's saying, I don't miss you. I'm with Jesus. Whether you are awake or asleep, whether you are still alive or you died yesterday as believers, doesn't matter. We should live together with Him. With Him. Because we're not appointed to the wrath. We're not to go through all of these horrific 
amazing sets of judgments. Because, he said that to the church of Philadelphia, because you have kept my command to persevere, I also will keep you, what? From the hour of trial, not through the hour of trial. From the hour of trial, which shall come upon who? The whole world to test who? The, those who dwell on earth. He is differentiating. He's basically saying, you're going to be in heaven. The hour of trial is to test those who dwell on earth. Amazing. Now, as he was speaking with me, Daniel wrote, I was in a deep sleep with my face to the ground, but he touched me and I stood and stood me upright. And he said, look, I am making known to you what shall happen in the what? In the latter time of the indignation. For at the appointed time, the end shall be. Give you a short Hebrew class. Put that verse. Vayomer, hineni modi echa et asher yihye ba'acharit hazaam ki lamoed ketz. Zaam in Hebrew. Say zaam. Zaam in Hebrew is wrath. And Daniel was given a revelation of what's going to happen at the latter part of the wrath. You have this word, indignation. I'm not sure what it is, but the Hebrew word is wrath. Which means when he wanted to des describe the last three and a half years, it's the last three and a half years of the wrath. And if we are not appointed to the wrath, that means we're not appointed to what? The whole seven years. Not just... See... The Bible doesn't say you are not appointed to the latter part of the wrath. You're not appointed to the wrath. Hello? Hello? And I must say, this somehow Christians can be super religious and they want to know that they have. To suffer. Because if we say that we suffer, then, then we justify our salvation. And so they start describing everything that is going on in the world as the suffering and as the persecution of the church and as this and that. And I'm having great cappuccino up here <laughs> at the church. Ladies and gentlemen, I travel all around the world. It's the same. Don't, don't, don't. It's not like Hawaii is the place where there is no problem. But the rest of the world, there's great persecution. And COVID is about the church. COVID is not about the church. Period. Go to Israel right now and see if synagogues were open. In Saudi Arabia, the biggest place. For Muslims around the world has just been open after two years. And I'm talking about the Kaaba. The, the big black stone where they worship. Now I'm not saying that the church is not suffering. I'm just saying there is an event that is bigger than the church here. 
It's a global event that has global consequences that plays a global role in the global attempt for a global government. It's not just church necessarily. And we, we, we love to hold on to this as it's the persecution of the church. When it's not. You know what? You want persecution of the church? Go to Afghanistan. <laughs> COVID, no COVID, the Taliban could care less. If you're a Christian, you're executed. Period. Go to places in, in uh, um, Nigeria. Christians have their churches burned while they are still inside. Regardless of COVID. That's Christian persecution. But we love to feel persecuted. Because you know why? Because we're religious. When you convince yourself that what you go through is because they hate Christ. Then you feel, ah, I'm fighting for Christ. When the restaurant is closed at 8 p.m. And that brings people to, to the confusion between the church and the saints of the tribulation. The term saints is not exclusive to the church. Sorry to tell you that. Biblically, it's not exclusive to the church. Psalm 34, 9. Oh, fear the Lord, you his saints. There is no one uh, to those who fear him. Precious in Psalm 116 is the sight of the Lord, is the death of his saints. This, all of this was written way before the church existed, okay? And the term, and, and, and okay, there is, you know, there is the Old Testament saints. Are they the church? No. But they're called saints. And then comes, okay, 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 but, but the word elect is even that term is not exclusively used in the Bible just for the church. The word in the Greek, eklego, elect or chosen. <laughs> the Greek word eklego means elect or chosen. And it's used in various conjunctions uh, in passage of Romans 9, 10, and 11 basically. Referring, by the way, specifically to Israel. In those chapters. It is ironically that the same root word used in the Greek translation of the Old Testament, the Septuagint, from the 3rd century B.C. Meaning chosen or elect. Same word. Deuteronomy 7 verses 7 and 8. The Lord did not set his love on you nor choose you. Chosen. Elect. Choose the same exact Greek word. He did not choose you because you were more in number than any other people. For you were the least of all people. But because the Lord loves you and because he would keep the oath which he swore to your fathers, the Lord has brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you from the house of bondage from the hand of Pharaoh the king. So the Greek word chose in the Septuagint is eklekekato. And that's the same Greek word also used in Romans. Psalm 105. O seed of Abraham, his servant, you children of Jacob, his 
chosen one. So now we, we understand the elect that Jesus is referring to in Matthew 24 in the first part. That these days, unless they were shortened, it was, you know, it's for the sake of the elect that they were shortened. Otherwise, Israel wouldn't exist anymore. By the way, why, can you, can you tell me what's going to happen? What can go wrong if Israel will not exist anymore? Biblically, what can go wrong? Let's say a new Hitler rises and he's got the power and the will to kill all the Jews around the world. Let's say he killed them all. Is there a problem biblically with that? What? Okay, what did Jesus say to Jerusalem? You will not see me again, Jerusalem, until you say, Baruch haba Hashem Adonai. The Jewish people, for Jesus to come back and reign on earth, the Jews not only must exist, but they must return to their land, return to their capital, and they must call upon His name. And then He will return. Now you see why Satan wants us out? Because that's the key for the physical return of Jesus. Amazing. So in Matthew 24, therefore when you see the abomination of desolation, where is it by the way? Abomination of desolation will stand where? In the temple, in Jerusalem. Not in Lihue. <laughs> Not in uh, Honolulu. It's going to stand in Jerusalem in the outer court of the temple. And spoken by Daniel the prophet, standing in the holy place. Whoever reads, let him understand. Then let those who are in Judea, not in Los Angeles, flee to the mountains. This is a problem if you live in the Netherlands. Let him who is on the housetop go, go, uh, not go down to take anything out of his house. And let him who is in the field not go, go back to get his clothes. But woe to those who are pregnant and those who are nursing babies in those days. And pray that your flight may not be in the winter or on the... You see, how many terms here should he be using to convince you that he's talking about Israel? It's in the Jerusalem. It's in the temple. It's in Judea. It's on the Sabbath. All of these terms are not for picketing Gentiles in the middle of the Pacific. And I don't blame you for eating peak. It's not like I'm like, you know, criticizing you or something. Not at all. When I get bacon served, take my two fingers, dip them in water, and I sprinkle water on it, and I say, you're a chicken, you're a chicken, you're a chicken. <laughs> and miraculously, it turns into chicken. You know, what I'm trying to say, speaking of Israel, about Israel, in Israel, for Israel, and he says, but for the elect's sake, those days will be shortened. It's amazing. And by the way, and I'm telling you my opinion, you don't have to accept it, 
but I'm standing here right now. So, But my opinion is that then he moves, after he starts describing tribulation, then he moves to our generation today in describing how we live in the days of Noah. Because our generation is the days of Noah. This is before the flood comes. This is when we are doing the Father's business and everybody's laughing at us right now. We're being ridiculed for what we do. Then he says, and he will send his angels with a great sound of a trumpet. And they will gather together his what? Elect from the four winds from the ends of what? Heaven to the other. For the return of Jesus back to earth, he is calling the elect which are where? In heaven to get ready. To come back. So you can see that even in the same chapter you can use it in two different ways. And let me show you now the scripture reference for saints. Just so you understand not all saints are the same. You've got Old Testament saints. Tribulation saints. 144,000 witnesses. The two witnesses and the church saints. All receive the name saints. All have the status of saints. And they're not the same. And by the way, these are scriptures that you can read later on. Well, this presentation is, stays here. You can later on look at it. Old Testament saints, Isaiah 26. Your dead shall live together with my dead body. They shall rise. Isaiah says, I'm going to be resurrected. Awake and sing, you who dwell in dust. For your dew is like the dew of herbs, and the earth shall cast out the dead. Daniel 12. At the time Michael shall stand up, the great prince, who stands watch over the sons of what? Your people. Basically, Michael is telling the... Um, We're being told that Michael shall stand up, the great prince who stands watch over the sons of your people. This is the archangel that is guarding the nation of Israel. And there shall be a time of trouble. In other words, such as never was since there was a nation. Even the Holocaust will pale compared to the tribulation for Israel. Even to that time. And at that time, your people shall be delivered, everyone who is found written in the book. And many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake. Some, if you are the Old Testament saint, some to everlasting life, some to shame and to everlasting contempt. If you, throughout the tribulation, rejected and took the mark of the beast upon yourself. That's why... Zechariah in chapter 13 says, regarding Israel, two-thirds will perish. But the last third is going to bring through the fire. Amazing. But then comes the tribulation saints. Those that will accept the Lord during the tribulation. Maybe even because of the tribulation. Because of the tribulation, they're going to see... Because the church is not here. Because what is the prime reason the church is here right now? 
What are we here for? To share the gospel. Exactly. Not to do anything else. But when we are out of here, who's going to share the gospel? For that, God is going to send two witnesses to Jerusalem. 144,000. And the angel that is going to pronounce the everlasting gospel all around the world. Because we are not here. But God is not giving up on people who still are willing to follow him and believe. And Daniel chapter 7. But the saints of the Most High shall receive the kingdom and possess the kingdom forever, even forever and ever. This is in the middle of describing the tribulation. Daniel 7 goes on and says, I was watching and the same horn was making war against the saints. These are the saints. The Antichrist is now on his way to what? Destroy those who are here and accepting upon themselves Jesus rather than him. Christ rather than the Antichrist. Until the ancient of day came, days came and a judgment was made in favor of the saints... Of the Most High. And the time came for the saints to possess the kingdom. Jesus will destroy the Antichrist when? At the end of the tribulation. Remember? And that's when Jesus comes back and starts his kingdom on earth. And that's when the saints of the tribulation will join us in order to reign with him. Do you understand? We are up there having the time of our life. They are down here having the most horrific time in the history of planet earth. But when Jesus comes, he's not coming alone. The Lord is coming back on earth with us. <laughs> the Bible says that, by the way. Zechariah says, behold, he comes and his saints are coming with him. I always tell people when Jesus is coming back on earth, you don't want to see his face. You want to see his back. You want to ride the horse behind him. Because when he comes, he's not coming as a forgiving, uh, 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 you know, suffering servant of the Lord. He's as a man of war to, coming to destroy his enemies. Daniel 7.25, he shall speak pompous words against the Most High. This is the Antichrist. He shall persecute the saints of the Most High. And he shall intend to change times and law. Then the saints shall be given into his hand for a time and times and half a time. Three and a half years. There is going to be a time when, when he is going to... I guess, bewitch the world. Everybody will think, ooh, he brought peace. He's a man of peace. No one, see, the Antichrist is not going to bring war. He's going to bring peace. He will be held as a man of peace, but it's a fake peace. Everybody will think, oh, this is it. Look at him. And the moment he moved, he makes the move to declare himself as God. Boom, this is it. 
Then the kingdom and dominion and the greatness of the kingdoms under the whole heaven shall be given to the people, the saints of the Most High. His kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, and all dominions shall serve and obey Him. This is a description of how eventually the saints of the tribulation will be rewarded to enter into the even earthly kingdom that Jesus is going to start. A kingdom that will have no end. In Revelation 5, 8, Now when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the Lamb, each having a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are what? The prayers of the saints. In Revelation 7, the prayers of the saints. They've been praying. They're still here. They're still on earth. They're suffering, but their prayers are not going to a wrong place. Their prayers are there before Him. And therefore, they are before the throne of God and serve Him day and night in His temple. Look at this. And then as we move on to Revelation 8, you see, then another... Okay, let's move on to Revelation 13. It was granted to Him to make war with the saints and to overcome them. And by the way, the church was promised that the the gates of hell shall not prevail against us. We are not to be overtaken by Satan. Okay? So who are those that are being overtaken by the one whom Satan is indwelling in? It's the, not the church, but it's the saints of the tribulation. Now, I would like to move on all the way. And I would like to get... And, and I know there's tons of verses. Let's move to the 144,000 witnesses and see that they're mentioned both in Revelation 7 and in Revelation 14. Remember, the book of Revelation is not in a chronological order. A lot of Christians fall into that trap of thinking that prophetic revelation has to be in order. That's not true. And this is why I think many people miss out Matthew 24 and 25, thinking if, 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 if it has to be in chronological order, then it has to be only about Israel. Personally, I see even the church in it when it comes to the days of Noah, when it comes to the rapture, and when it comes to the second coming with us, as it is being described over there. But then there is the two witnesses also that are mentioned in Revelation 11. I was given a reed like measuring rod, and the angel stood saying, Rise and measure the temple of, the, of God, the altar, and those who worship there. But I leave out the court which is outside the temple, and do not measure it, for it has been given to the Gentiles. And look what he says. And they will tread the holy city underfoot for 42 months. Can anyone do a, a quick math of how many Years, 42 months are. Hmm? Three and a half, exactly. And I will give power to my two witnesses. By the way, the church is God's witnesses. That's from Acts chapter 2. Israel is God's witnesses according to Isaiah chapter 46. These are the two things that the Antichrist... Of course, hates the spirit of the Antichrist will always hate believers in Jesus and always hate the nation of Israel. Always, always. Because their presence is a testimony that God exists. But when the church is gone, look what he says. 
it says, And I will give power to my two witnesses, and they will prophesy 1,260 days clothed in sackcloth. How many is it? 1,260 days. Exactly three and a half biblical lunar years. Because, you know, you guys messed it up with 365 days. Do you follow the Gregorian calendar, the sun, whatever you call Sunday, Sunday? Because, I, I, never mind. <laughs> Going to have to figure this one one day. A day for the sun, a day for the moon. A day for we don't call the days of the week after the sun or the moon. Or we, we, in Hebrew, we say first day, second day, third day, fourth day, fifth day, sixth day. The only day that has a name is Shabbat, Sabbath. That's it. You guys, uh, I'm not sure. But it says, it says that those two witnesses will be here for exactly three and a half years. So the 144,000 will have three and a half years. The two There's always going to be someone that will witness of Jesus. Someone, if you listen to him, you will know the truth. There is no way God can ever expect his, you know... The people whom he created, he can't expect them to be saved when there is no one sent with those good news. Why are we sent to, give, to bring the good news? And even if we're not talking, of course, everything around us is talking about it. But those are different days. And these are the two alive olive trees that he continued to talk about them. These have power. These are people that, that it's amazing. Anyone wants to harm them, fire proceeds from their mouth and devours their enemies. And if anyone wants to harm them, he must be killed in this manner. These have power to shut heaven. Think about it. God gives two people the power to, 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 to bring rain, the power to bring fire, the power, I mean, amazing things. And yet, people ridicule them, laugh at them, and when they are dead, people give gifts to one another because they're so happy. Amazing. See the, the level of brainwash that this world is going to go through. But of course, there is the church saints as well. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. For this reason we also thank God without ceasing. Because when you received the word of God which you heard from us. You welcomed it not as the word of men. But as it is in truth the word of God which also effectively works in you who believe. And when he comes in 2 Thessalonians in that day. To be glorified in his saints and to be admired among all those who believe. Because our testimony among you was believed. Revelation 19. Let us be glad and rejoice in giving glory. For the marriage of the Lamb has come and his wife has made herself ready. And to her it was gen uh, granted to be arrayed in fine linen, clean and bright. For the fine linen is the righteous acts of the saints. Zechariah 14. Thus the Lord my God will come physically and all the saints with you. Jesus' return to earth is not alone. He's accompanied with all his saints that are coming with him. 
And there are some verses, by the way, that speaks of all the saints, both Old Testament, tribulation, and the church. The nations were angry. Your wrath has come in Revelation 11. And the time of the dead that they should be judged and that you should reward your servants, the prophets, and the saints, and those who fear your name, small and great, and should destroy those who destroy the earth. Now, what are the things that all saints, even the saints of the tribulation, and us, from the time of Jesus' resurrection, have in common? What are the things? There's, you know, some, some things we have in common. First, when the church is still on earth, which is now, the souls of the dead believers go to where? Go to heaven. Up until Jesus came, guess where the souls of the dead ones used to go? Down to Sheol, not up to heaven. Jesus is the one who emptied Abraham's bosom. He's the one who resurrected and took all those souls up to be with him. And from that moment on, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. That's what he did. So, all Christians who put their faith in Jesus, whether they live now or even throughout the tribulation, their souls are going to be right in heaven the minute they die. Not their body, their souls. We're confident, yes, well pleased, rather to be absent from the body and to be what? Present with the Lord. When he, hoped the fifth, when he opened the fifth seal, look what he said. I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain for the word of God and for the testimony which they held. Their souls were already there. All saints will have glorified bodies eventually and will reign with him in the 1,000 years Millennial kingdom. All of them. So what are the differences between the church and the tribulation saints? The most important thing is this. The church is the bride of Christ. Look at you. Depressed, oppressed. What's going on? The church is the bride of Christ. <laughs> Ephesians 5. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her that he might sanctify and cleanse her with a washing of water by the word that he might present her to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any or any such thing, but that she should be holy and without blemish. So husbands ought to love their wives and, and, and their own, uh, as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as the Lord does the church. For we are members of his body, of his flesh, and of his bones. We are the we are the, 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 the bride. The marriage that is going to happen is going to be for us, with us. We're not destined to the wrath of God. We're not a battered wife. We're not being hit boom, 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 for seven years and then we go up without our head. And, 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 you know, people always, you know, there's the pre-trib, mid-trib, and post-trib people who believe you know, the rapture is going to happen either before or the middle. Of, and I always say just like, 
Rare, medium, well, and well done. How do you want to get to heaven? Smoking, like well done, or rare? The church will attend her wedding while the world will be judged. Let us be glad and rejoice and give him glory for the marriage of the Lamb has come and his wife has made herself ready. And to her it was granted to be arrayed in fine linen. So I want to encourage you. This world is not going to get better. That's not the word of encouragement yet. <laughs> this world actually is going to get worse. Way worse. But since when we were promised that this place is our place and it's going to get great? No. The further this world is drifting away from God, the closer it is for us to be at His presence. And I want you to know, as Americans, I'm telling you, as Americans, you will find yourself. You, yesterday, the president lifted all sanctions from Iranian's nuclear deal. Paving the way for a shameful agreement that will allow Iran to have nuclear weapons very, very soon. And maybe allow a war to start in the very foreseeable future. All I'm saying is, you're going to find yourself less and less and less identifying yourself necessarily as American, and more and more and more identifying yourself as the citizens of heaven. And I want you to know, I want you to know that I love this country, but this country is not going to be what it used to be. Normal isn't coming back. Jesus is. And it's important that we understand, and it's important that you understand that more than ever before, your heavenly passports, because we're the citizens of heaven. We're, right now, we're already citizens of the heavenlies, and we are here as what? Ambassadors. We are ambassadors. You know what it means? Our citizenship is elsewhere, and we are here on behalf of Jesus, representing him here. But what happens, you know, when I was a little kid, I hated everything around me. And I used to drift away into the world of fantasy, the world of, 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 of dreams of what's going to happen to me when I grow up. And what will I want to do when I grow up. And I always wanted to become the ambassador of Israel somewhere. You know, I wanted, I was thinking about, uh, you know, you know, the, you know the, you go represent your country. There's an embassy, there's an ambassador's card and driver and you know I was thinking about all the goodies and then I thought to myself wow according to the etiquette of of, of you know uh, uh, diplomatic relations right before a war is waged the ambassador is being called back home hello where are the ambassadors of of Christ we're here temporarily, and before he is going to wage war on this world, we, the ambassadors, have to be called back home because we've got a wedding to attend. And listen, and we can't be late because we're the bride. It's not like you can be. So I want to encourage you that as you see this world getting worse and worse and worse, don't rush to this, oh, it's the tribulation. Or don't say, 
good. I'm finally going to suffer for the Lord. That's not it. I want you more than ever before to occupy until he comes. To understand that we're here as ambassadors of Christ. To reconcile people unto the Lord. And to remember that there is only one camp of conservatism that you need to belong to. And it is to be Bible-centered, gospel-oriented, and not anything else that is super, super attractive and popular nowadays. Don't run to the wrong places and associate yourself with the wrong things and, and put the gospel as number five in your priorities. No, I'm first a patriot and then I'm a believer. No, no, no. You're first a believer. That's who we are. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you that we, thankfully, are not the saints of the tribulation. I thank you, Father, that we are the bride. I thank you, Father, we are the ambassadors of Christ. I thank you, Father, that you, you did not destine your bride to the wrath of God. And I thank you that you will take us from, out of, not through, the judgment, the tribulation, and the hour of trial that is about to come upon those who dwell here in this world. Thank you for your promises. Thank you for the, the fact that you prepared a place for us. And thank you that very soon you will come back to receive us unto yourself. So where you are, we will also be. We bless your name this morning. And we ask this in the name of the, mat in the matchless name of the Holy One of Israel, Yeshua HaMashiach, Jesus our Messiah, who came of the virgin, grew up here, born under the law, born at the fullness of the time, exactly at the right time, born of a virgin, born under the law. He came from his own and to his own, and although his own received him not, he will return back to earth to his own, and they will eventually receive him. And until then, make us your mouthpiece, not just to the people here, but also even to the people of Israel. So they will not have to go through the tribulation and go through this terrible time of Jacob's trouble. We thank you. We bless you. In the name of Jesus, we pray. And all of God's people say, Amen. Thank you. So at the end of the tribulation, Jesus comes back to the earth with you behind him. Huge army from heaven. All of the people that have come up to Jerusalem to go to war because they don't want Jesus. They don't want his kingdom. And Jesus, as it says in 2 Thessalonians, with just the word of his mouth. Can you imagine this huge army coming from heaven? The whole world wanting to wage war doesn't want anything to do with Jesus or his kingdom or his believers. All he has to say is, no. Now, I don't know if fire's going to come out from heaven and blow everybody away. I don't know if there's going to be any kind of warfare with guns or tanks or helicopters or aircraft. I don't know what it's going to look like. But here's what we do know from the scriptures. We do know at the end of the tribulation, when Jesus come back, comes back and says, no, knock it off. It stops here. There's going to be a new king. And a new kingdom. It's like he comes to the earth and he says to Satan, 
you're in my chair. Get out. And Satan gets out because he's already a defeated foe. We are going to be looking at a new era that happens right after the tribulation. It's called the millennium. You may have heard of it. The millennium is an exciting time. We're going to have a little bit of tour through the millennium. We are going to be utilizing scriptures, and we're going to be having a little bit of sanctified imagination. And I want you just to, right now where you're at, close your eyes and pray with me this prayer. Lord Jesus, encourage me, teach me, and challenge me during this session. And it's in your name we pray, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Last 100 years of human history have been very eventful. It's been a shift. Uh, even historians have compared it to the rest of human history, and we've seen many world wars. We have seen many other pandemics, including the Spanish flu, and we've seen the attempt to exterminate God's people, the Jews, in the 30s and 40s. So much so that there were some Jewish people in the United States, uh, one of them by the name of Stan Lee, the other Jack Kirby, and there were a few others, and they invented a comic book uh, company called Marvel Comics. Perhaps you've heard of it. In today's day and age, Marvel Studios has produced many movies now that they have the technology to do justice to some of the cool things that some of these superhumans and some of these superpowered heroes have. Did you know that Marvel and all of the comics, and even DC Comics, with many of the Jews living in the 30s and 40s, they had a reaction to the way they felt as Jewish people, that the world was coming against them, and they longed for heroes. They longed for people that would swing in and rescue them from all of the pains and all of the persecution of this world. But what if I was to, to tell you this? What if I was to tell you that there will be a future world leader, and what if you told this to your friends, that is going to come from heaven with an army of perfect people, smash the evil armies of the world that come against him, and that he would take full control of the world and make it the best ever, even exceeding the times of Adam? Can you imagine? The Bible predicts this, this, this event will happen. And I want to put it to the true test. First of all, I want to look at what does millennium actually mean? Let me throw that up on the screen. What does it mean? It comes from two words. It comes from mille, which means a thousand, and anus, which means year. It's a Latin term. It's the Latin language. And so it really just means 1,000. So the question comes up is, is this really a 1,000-year literal time period, or is it just kind of fig figurative and metaphoric, and is it just kind of fantastical? Is it just a Marvel Comics version of what might be reality? Well, let's take a look at this. In Revelation chapter 20, verses 1 through 6, and we're going to just put this up into parts and you can see for yourself. It says here, John writing, then I saw an angel coming down from heaven, holding on his hand the key to the bottomless pit and a great chain. And he seized the dragon, the ancient serpent, who is the devil and Satan, and he bound him for and threw him into the pit and shut it and sealed it over him so that he might not deceive the nations any longer until the Yes, we're ended. After that, he must be released for a little while. We're going to talk about that. Verse 4, Then I saw thrones, and seated on them were, were those to whom the authority to judge was committed. 
Also, I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded for the testimony of Jesus and for the word of God, and those who had not worshipped the beast or his image and had not received its mark on their foreheads or their hands. These are the tribulation saints. We just, we just talked about this. They came to life, that's at the end of the tribulation, and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. Verse 5, the rest of the dead did not come to life. The rest of the dead went through the tribulation. They did not come to life. Not at the end of the tribulation. Watch this. They did not come to life until the thousand years were ended. And so this is the first resurrection of the righteous at the end of the tribulation. Blessed and holy are those who share in the first resurrection over such the second death has no power, but they will be priests of God and Christ and they will reign with him for a thousand years. So in our Q&A period, one of the classic questions is, will there be saints in the tribulation? What will they look like? What will they do? And what will these people do in the millennium? Who's going to be in the millennium? How many resurrections are going to be? It talks about the first resurrection. Is that the rapture? Is the, re is the resurrection here at the end of the tribulation? All these questions. So our question and answer period may only be five minutes long based on the two topics that we have today. We'll see what happens. So you see what this is saying. All of the Old Testament saints, okay, all of those who come to Jesus during the tribulation, the church will have been taken already. All of those people, okay. The, peop the Jewish people that come to Jesus in the tribulation, those saints, okay. Any Gentiles in Papua New Guinea that come to Jesus in the tribulation and are di they die in the tribulation, all those saints, at the end, when Jesus comes back, there will be a resurrection. And then they go into the millennium with the rest of humanity, okay, that's still alive. All of those righteous people. So even in John's Gospel, chapter 11, verse 24, Martha said to Jesus when he arrived to resurrect Lazarus, he looks at Martha and says, do you believe that he can be raised from the dead? And Martha says, well, I know that he'll raise again in the resurrection on the last day, meaning just before the Messiah comes. Theologically, that was in her mind. And I love what Jesus says. He says, I am the resurrection and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. It's pretty cool stuff. So let me go through this. Let me be your tour guide this morning, and hopefully you will have some great perspectives at the end of this so that you can encourage yourself because you will be a part of the administration of this new king kingdom that is about to come. Okay, let's go to uh, the Jewish expectation. Let's start with the Jews. They're the ones that hold the covenants and we know that from the Apostle Paul. It was a Jewish expectation, this whole millennial thing. Uh, the prophets spoke about it. Isaiah chapter 2 verses 2 through 4 and, it now, it, and now it will come to pass in the latter days that the mountain of the Lord's house shall be established on the top of the mountains. It shall be exalted above the hills. All nations shall flow into it. Many people shall come and say, Come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, the house of the God of Jacob. He will teach us his ways, and we will walk in his paths. For out of Zion shall go forth the law and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. He shall judge between the nations and rebuke many people. They shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation shall not lift up sword against nation. Neither shall they learn war anymore. 
Remember a few hundred years ago when people used to actually fight? <laughs> we remember. That is so weird. I can't even imagine that. There will be so much peace in the world, so much righteous rulership, war will be so obsolete, primitive, and caveman-like. Jeremiah chapter 23, verses 5 through 6. This is from the Jewish writings, the Jewish expectation. If you grab any Hasidic Jew off the street, if you grab any conservative Jew off the street and say, does the Bible speak of a future day of prosperity after the Messiah? They will say, of course it does. What kind of question is this? It's a Jewish mindset. Verse, uh, verse 5 and 6, Jeremiah 23. Behold the days of are coming, says the Lord, that I will raise to David a branch of righteousness. A king shall reign and prosper and execute judgment and righteousness in the earth. And in his days Judah will be saved and Israel will dwell safely. Now this is the name by which he will be called the Lord of Righteousness. Daniel chapter 7, verse 13 through 14. I was watching in the night visions and behold, one like the Son of Man coming with the clouds of heaven. And he came to the Ancient of Days, and they brought him near before him. Then to him was given dominion and glory and kingdom, that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is everlasting dominion, which shall not pass away. And his kingdom, the one which shall not be destroyed. Zechariah chapter 14. Are you getting the picture? Read Zechariah 14, verse 16 through 20 before you go to bed. I'm going to go now to number two. The apostles hoped for it. The apostles were hoping that this would happen in their lifetime. They were constantly asking Jesus, are you going to restore the nation of Israel? Are you going to restore to the kingdom at this time? And he said, no, not, not at this time. They kept asking. He, Jesus, on one occasion, the crowds wanted to grab him and make him king by force because they were so fed up with the Roman occupation of his day. And they wanted this era in Acts chapter 1, verse 6 through 8, therefore, when they had come together, that's the apostles, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? Come on, you know you want to. Come on. Here's a crown. We got a scepter right out back. It's got a nice jewel on the top. And he said to them, it's not for you to know the times or seasons, which the Father has put in his own authority, but you for now. And this isn't such a bad deal. For now, you will receive power when the Spirit of God comes upon you and you shall be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all of Judea and Samaria to the end of the earth. We are fulfilling this passage right here, right now. Isn't that amazing? Filthy pig-eating Gentiles like yourself and like myself have been sitting right here in this Hawaiian island. Uh, talking about Bible prophecy. The apostles hope for it. We, we could go deeper, but I want you to see that this millennial idea of a thousand-year reign isn't a crackpot theory. It's literally 1,000 years. It's going to happen. The Jews believed in it. The disciples believed in it. And the early church defended it. Irenaeus, our dear friend, who lived in the 100s A.D., in his book Against Heresies, which he was fighting heresies, false teachings during his day, wrote a multi-volume set called Against Heresies. You can read it. It's translated into English. And in book 5, chapter 33 and verse 4, 
He says this, the predicted blessing, therefore, belongs unquestionably to the times of the kingdom. He's talking about the blessings and the righteousness of the future Bible verses, many of which we've just read. He actually quotes them in his book. When the righteous shall bear rule upon their rising from the dead, when also the creation, having been renovated, I like how they translate that, a renovation, and set free, shall fructify, fructify, with an abundance of all kinds of food. You thought you had fruit in Hawaii? This is like a desolate Afghani refugee camp compared to what's going to happen in the millennium. You know, this is like bankrupt of any flavor. You know what I'm saying? (laughs) Gives you an idea what's going to happen. Abundance of all kinds of food from the dew of heaven, from the fertility of the earth. This is Irenaeus. He's a bishop in Lyons, France in around 160 A.D. And he's teaching about the millennium. There are kooks out there that are saying, eh, you know, Bible prophecies was fulfilled under Jesus' time. And when, the, when Titus came in 70 A.D. and destroyed the temple, that was it. All prophecy was fulfilled. And so everything about the Bible is not futuristic. They call that the preterist view. The preterist view is shut down when you simply quote Irenaeus, who lived 100 years later. And he's defending false teaching in that time period saying some are denying the millennium, the tribulation, the rapture, and the second coming. Don't be fooled. Now, let me say this just in passing. Speaking of being fooled, how many of you have been to Israel to the Holocaust Museum? Oh, wow, a lot of us. The new upgraded one and also the old one had the same technique to get you to see how this whole evil was able to permeate the entire continent of Europe. Hitler, in many ways, was, was, was G- he was evil, but he was smart in how he rolled out his evil diabolical plan. He utilized something called replacement theology to convince the churches that they're the new Israel. And the Jew in replacement theology, which says that the church replaces Israel and the covenants of the Old Testament are now metaphorically fulfilled in the church, not literally fulfilled for Israel like we believe. Do you see if you believe in replacement theology as an example what you could do to an entire continent with anti-Semitism as your end goal? Irenaeus knew that that could happen. He didn't want that to happen. False teachings, including replacement theology, were already existing in the first and second centuries to the point where he wrote against it. And lastly, in this section, before we take you on the tour of what it's going to be like in the actual millennium, is you get to look forward to it. You will be raptured before the tribulation. Again, also some of the early church fathers actually said that the rapture must happen before the tribulation. Don't let anybody fool you and say, this is a new doctrine. It came out of the late 1800s with Darby and Schofield and Moody. They they concocted this whole theory of a a, a rapture and a tribulation period. Oh, no, 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 no. Well, forget about these guys. Let's just say we didn't even know they existed. There are a series, at least five that I quote in a teaching, the rapture according to the early church, where they all... 
adamantly insisted that the tribulation period is going to take place and the church will be raptured, absolutely, and it will happen before the wrath, before the seven-year period. Amen. Irenaeus, Book of Heresies, Book 5, Chapter 29. Check it out. Tour guide time. All right. Now, I, I got to say this because this is online and we'll get a lot of emails if I don't get this right. All right. <clears throat> I'm feeling very comfortable with you. So we're going to take a little journey. We're going to use some sanctified imagination. We're going to talk about what we know. And then we will conjecture maybe a little bit about what we don't know, what it could be. And I'll leave you with a sanctified imagination. That's the key word, sanctified. Don't go into the kook stuff. Just stay within the realms of Scripture. Here's what we know. What's so great about the millennium? Well, you get the best. The world will have the best king it's ever had. The best king. The best king. Uh, can you do better than perfection? Maybe I'm crazy, but you can't, right? Look at what it says in Isaiah chapter 11, verse 1 through 5. There shall come forth a rod from the stem of Jesse, and a branch shall grow out of his roots. L listen to the kind of king. Take, take the president right now and see if he measures up to this. The spirit of the Lord will rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge, and the fear of the Lord. His delight is in the fear of the Lord. He shall not judge by the sight of his eyes, nor decide by the hearing of his ears. But with righteousness he shall judge the poor, and decide with equity for the meek of the earth. He shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth, with the breath of his lips. He shall slay the wicked. Righteousness shall be the belt of his loins, and faithfulness the belt of his waist. You get the perfect king in the millennium. Number two, the best government. You have a perfect government. Can you imagine? No corruption. Vo 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 you know, the polls and the voting booths, they'll have absolute accountability for all of the legislations of different cities around. Can you imagine? <laughs> IDs will be required. Hello. <laughs> Who are you? My name is <laughs> Azamaturiakbai. Okay. <laughs> Prove it, you know. Isaiah chapter 2, verse 3 through four, for out of Zion shall go forth the law and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. He shall judge between the nations, rebuke many people. They shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war anymore. You'll have a government that's so perfect that war is a joke. Corruption <laughs> Remember when people actually used to cheat? Oh, yeah, a few hundred years ago. Yeah, those stupid people. Wow, look at us now. Could you imagine? Criminals, if there are any that pop up, <laughs> swift justice. <laughs> you know, judge and jury will, will ex execute swift justice. There will be no fake news. Imagine that. Imagine... If we even use TVs or whatever we will use, the news will come from the Jesus Network. <laughs> Can you imagine? Um, you'll have no riots, no looting, no extremism, no lag times for passport renewal. Okay? All right. Let's move on. You'll have the best worship. 
today was really good. Almost as good as the millennium. That's what I'm going to say. Jeremiah 31. The days are coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. Not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day that I took them by the hand to lead them out of the land of Egypt. My covenant, which they broke, though I was a husband to them, says the Lord, but this is the covenant I'll make with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord. He's referring to this period of time in the future. I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Nor, no more shall every man teach his neighbor and every man his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they will already know me. From the least of them to the greatest of them, says the Lord, for I will forgive their iniquity, and their sin I will remember no more. No more dead man-made legalistic religion, no more world religious systems that teach kooky things like reincarnation, no more uh, violent religions that put their people that are ignorant into bus, bus stations and blow themselves up, no more of the paganism, neo-paganism and, and uh, demonic worship. It's all a thing of the past. But by the way, so that we strike preemptively, there will be what we call a temple. And it is my belief, our belief, that it, this, this temple that Ezekiel the prophet writes about that has never occurred in human history, and you can actually build a model because the dimensions are just that accurate, this temple, I believe, they will worship the Lord in. And that's what we call Ezekiel's temple. I believe we have a diagram for it. People ask, why, why, why is there a temple? Isn't Jesus' blood and sacrifice enough for all generations? Yes, it is. And they're not going to be using this for atonement or atonement purposes. But isn't there something about taking a graphic, real live animal, sacrificing it so you can really sense the gravity? Because if you're, if you're on year 605 within the millennium, you could easily forget the distant past of the amount of sheer sacrifice exhibited by Jesus who looks perfect on his kingly throne. Okay? Now, I know in the millennium, you probably won't have PETA and tree huggers and all of these people out there. So, you know, the worship will be unrestricted, but people will appreciate sacrifices, particularly the sacrifice that was made on their behalf. You have to realize that Jewish people are very graphic. They, like all the rest of us, forget about things that have happened. That's why God said, remember this, remember this, don't forget. Because we as human beings have a tendency to forget. And when we worship, one of the key aspects of worship is to reflect on the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross 2,000 years ago where he conquered sin, demonic forces, and death in a weekend. And that's a big deal. So I think that's going to be a big part of worship. And you thought worship was great today, and it was. It's going to be awesome. The best education. As it says in Isaiah, which we've just read, uh, many people shall come and say, Come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob. He will teach us his ways, and we shall walk in his paths. No more rigged curriculums. Isn't it ironic? Woke culture is the world's solution to racial inequality which is something you've owned for 2,000 years ago because the Spirit of God wrote what actual racial equality looks like, and it's done through the power of the Spirit in the church. 
The world thinks they can do a better job of doing social issues than you in the church. They are hijacking what is rightfully yours and changing the game rules and integrating sinful lifestyles and selling it to the world, and they're drinking it like Kool-Aid. Everyone will have access to rock-solid, fact-oriented education in the millennium. And everybody will be able to verify it through history and technology that exists. Will there be student loans? I think that if Bernie Sanders became a believer and he was to see the education system in the millennium, he'd say, well, that's very impressive, I have to say. That's really good stuff. Now, the fault is you can't do that here in a sinful uh, era when you have so many corrupt officials. But expect the best education in the millennium. The best economy. You know, I'm just hitting these one by one, and then we're going to enter into Q&A after a brief... Um, break. And I want you to put your thinking caps on. I want you to think outside the box. I want you to throw at us some of those impossible, crazy questions that the Bible speaks about. Don't ask crazy questions. Ask Bible crazy questions. Um, the best economy. Look what it says in Amos chapter 9. Behold, the days are coming. Future, says the Lord. When the plowman shall overtake the reaper, the treader of grapes, him who sows seed. The mountains shall drip with sweet wine, and all the hills shall flow with it. I'll bring back the captives of my people Israel. They shall build the waste cities and inhabit them. They shall plant vineyards and drink wine from them. They shall also make gardens and eat fruit from them. I will plant them in their land, and no longer shall they be pulled up from the land I have given them. That's why it couldn't have been fulfilled in that day. When the time this happens... They will be a permanent fixture in the land. Listen to this. The plowman cannot keep up with the reaper. The, the, the guy sowing seeds and the plowman that comes, there's a cycle of so much speed. I plant and then the guy comes to harvest and I can't keep up. He can't keep up. I can't keep up. There's so much fruit. There's so much vegetation. There's so much blessing coming from the earth. As soon as we throw a seed, it comes up. And then we got the guys, the contractors come and they, they reap the harvest and there's no way to keep up. The, the, the stock market is a J curve. I mean, nobody can keep up. Every day it goes up thousands of points. The Dow Jones is blowing up all around the world. There's such prosperity. Nobody can keep up. It will be, you'll have blessing coming out of your ears like those little Play-Doh things we used to play with. The Play-Dohs coming out of the ears. Blessing, prosperity. All of this is coming out. The best economy. The stock market of Jesus. Well, you know, Jesus Street stock market. Can you imagine? The best health. The best health. Isaiah chapter 33, verse 24. And the inhabitant will not say in the millennium, in the kingdom, I am sick. The people who dwell on it will be forgiven their iniquity. No, there will be no demons during this period, so they can't be demonized. People will be reconciled in relationships because they're going to be applying biblical scriptures. People can still technically get sick on earth, but the amount of sicknesses and diseases... Because Jesus' government is running it so perfectly, we'll be at an all-time minimum in human history. Bernie would say, I kind of like that because health insurance will probably be universal by then. 
Can you imagine? Medical professionals will have to find other work. Again, this is my, this is my sanctified imagination. And here's what will really impress you. The millennium still is not the new heaven and the new earth which is to come. I believe the millennium or the kingdom shows that Jesus is a king. So this is a nation. Nationalism is good when it's confined to God and when you submit to God. And you have a system of government that's very nationalistic. It's basically the kingdom of Jesus. People that follow Jesus. Isn't it interesting? The world's been asking for climate control. They've been asking for population reduction. Oh, they're going to get it in the tribulation. It's just not the way they thought it would happen, okay? I mean, and it's going to be a lot. I mean, it'll definitely, they can check that box. Isn't it interesting what the world is preaching to you? In so many ways, they took from you and reformatted and then gave it back to the world, and it's actually selling. If they're successful to do that, can you imagine what we could do with the power of the Spirit of God working in and through us, giving people the truth? Can you imagine? This is the day we're in. We're almost finished, and we'll go into Q&A. No Satan or demons. Wow. wow. Satan, you're in jail. Demons, prison. Get out of here. Revelation chapter 20, verses 1 through 3. Then I saw an angel coming down from heaven, having the key to the bottomless pit and a great chain in his hand. He laid hold of the dragon, that serpent of old, who is the devil and Satan, and bound him for thousand years. And he cast him into the bottomless pit, shut him up, and set a seal on him so that he should not deceive the nations no more till the thousand years are finished. But after these things, he must be released for a little while. Oh. Why? You want to save that for the Q&A, or should we just answer it? We believe, and this makes sense to us. You have to decide whether this makes sense to you. You have just shown the world everything I've said of the perfect education, perfect government. Everything's perfect! Now, the people on the earth, they are products of the tribulation that survived. Their great, 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 great grandfathers made it through, and we're believers. But that doesn't mean the great, 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 great grandkids are believers. Singapore has proven that you can have a very strict legal system where it's a $500 fine to spit gum out on the street and they don't have pollution problems, but you still have sinful people. You can remove the devil. You can remove demons. And if there are people out there that truly in their heart want to prefer sin, even in a perfect system, it's almost like God saying, here's your last offer. I've given everything to you literally perfect in a sinful, fallen world. And when I release the devil, we'll filter out all of the weeds, all of the people that just still are on the fence. Sure, they're stupid. Sure, they're foolish. Sure, they're deceived. Maybe they just think they love themselves just like today. This tendency of sinful nature will go on trial with the, re with the release of Satan and demons, and that will be a natural weeding out process so that when we go into the new heavens and the new, new earth after the great white throne judgment, you know everyone wants to be there forever and ever. That's our theory. We'll see how that works out in the Q&A if it comes back. Eight, and then we are going to um, transition. This is probably one of my favorites. And I'm not a sightly guy, so I'm not going to win any beauty contests, but if the, if the Miss America came up here, 
She was standing right here. World peace! And everybody would clap, and the utopists would love it. Because it says in Isaiah chapter 11, now this is the world's version of world peace is a fantasy. But there will be world peace. Isaiah 11, the wolf shall dwell with the lamb, the leopard shall lie down with the young goat, the calf and the young lion and the fatling together, and the little child will lead them. Imagine going to the Serengeti. The beasts have had a rough season. They're all starving to death. And they all want to maul each other to pieces. You've watched the Discovery Channel. You know what they're capable of. You're getting blood flying every... A little toddler runs out. Have you seen some of those when they, they go into the zoo and they fall into the bear cages? And it's like, whoa. And they're going to they're gonna lead them out. That's peace. The nursing child shall play by the cobra's hole. <laughs> Can you imagine? And the wean child will put his hand in the viper's den. <laughs> no, you won't get bit. Now, at the very end, I want you guys to go to what does this mean for me today? I know some of you are watching this on our live, or not on our video feed. There's two points that I want to leave you with. If, you've, if you haven't heard anything that we've said today, which is a snapshot of what's to come, I want you to be there. I don't want you to be thrown into hell in the future. I don't want that. So number one, if you've missed everything I've said, don't miss this. Your relationship with God today, today, determines your future tomorrow if you don't do something different. Let me, let me just say this. Put this clearly on the screen. For if we died with him, 2 Timothy, we shall also live with him. If we endure, we shall also reign with him. If we deny him, he will also deny us. If you say no to the gospel and Jesus, that's your future. He will deny you. If we are faithless, he remains faithful. He cannot deny himself. Today's status of your relationship is what's going to be your relationship with God tomorrow unless you make a change. Number two, if you think tomorrow is the day, if you gamble with your soul, you will lose. You will. 2 Corinthians 6, 1 through 2 we then as workers together with him also plead with you not to receive the grace of God in vain, for he says, in an acceptable time I've heard you, in the day of salvation I have helped you. Behold, now is the accepted time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. All right? Let me, let me really plant this deep and let me get this into your head. Good, good, good. That's what we say in Hebrew. Get this good, good into your head. Put it very deep in the head is what I want to say. If you gamble with your soul and say, ah, you know, tomorrow, next week, everything grandma told me or my sister told me, I'm just going to put that on hold because I'm too busy now. For what? To, to address your soul? What is the most important part of your body? It's your soul. It's your spirit. You're going to gamble with that? 
Gambling with money will leave you bankrupt. Gambling with your soul will leave you dead, and you will risk eternity. Even if you call yourself a believer, Paul says, every day I die daily, he says. Not that he can lose his salvation, but he checks himself to know that he's in the center of God's will. See, some of us are believers, and we are going to heaven, but we're not doing our Father's business. We're playing games with our own temptations. We're playing games with different visions that we have for our life. And God is standing by, and he's knocking. He's saying, I got so much more planned for you. If you just follow me, if you just trust me. But for those of us who don't know Jesus and who are resisting, be careful. You're gambling with your soul. I'm going to close with this, and we're going to have a break. I speak to a lot of military personnel because I'm also in the military. A lot of military people are secular. They don't believe in God. They don't know if there's a God. We call that agnostic. I said, let me, let me give you a, a, a vision. I'm a believer in Jesus. Let's say I'm wrong. Let's say, I am, let's say I'm the problem. Let's say I'm wrong. Let's say that I have fan, I, I'm just living in fantasy land. If I die, and, and, and you die, if I'm speaking to a non-believing young man, I will go to my grave, in your mind, deceived, but I'm going to go with joy and happiness with a smile on my face. I'll just be deceived. You'll go to the grave, and we'll both go to the grave, and that's it. It's a wash either way. I'm just happy, but deceived. That's okay, because whatever he believed, he was probably happy and deceived, whatever. whatever. But if the Bible is true, and you're right about who Jesus is, He's not. There are consequences. Either way, you win. Over here, that's a 50% gamble for the secular, neo-pagan, secularist living in today's America. Don't let people get away with smoke screening you, with making you think that you had it wrong. You own racial equality taught by the apostles. You own true definitions, including marriage and role distinctions. You you know the truth. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. You know the truth. Folks, it's time in the last days to assert ourselves with love and put the dilemma back on the non-believer and not let them hijack what rightfully was given to you to teach and to preach around the world. All right? All right, let's all stand and pray as we, uh, as we take a break. Lord Jesus, thank you that these words are tried and true. We, we do admit that we, we don't know exactly what the millennium's going to look like. We don't know even exactly what the second coming is going to look like. But we believe it, as did our fathers before us. We pray now that over every person, that you'd give us wisdom in these last days. Thank you for each person that chose to come here today. We pray for our Q&A in about 10, 10, 15 minutes to be fruitful, helpful, challenging, and equipping. And we thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. First one, check this out. The ones who are raptured, where will they be during the millennium? Jesus said, 
that he is coming to receive us unto himself. So where he is, we will also be. Where is Jesus now? Up there in heaven, at the right hand of the Father. That's what, this is what um, even uh, uh, Stephen saw when uh, he was martyred. He saw that Jesus is right there. And so Jesus is taking us. And by the way, do you know, do you remember what the, where the meeting point of us and Jesus is going to be? In the air. He comes down from heaven. We go up from earth. Hello? And we meet in the air. We meet in the cloud. And then he takes us to where he is, not come down to where we were. Do we understand that? Okay, so we go up to meet the Lord in the air. He takes us and ushers our entrance into, into the place that he prepared for us. And this is where we are during the tribulation. Okay? So during the tribulation, we're not here, we're there. And then when the tribulation comes to an end, we return with him. Behold, the Lord comes and his saints are coming with him. Amen. Okay. Amen. Yeah, just a cool factor, though, is it, it, do you not know you will rule and reign with Jesus? That even occurs in the Bible. And that starts with the millennium. You will already have a perfect body. Perfect body, just as his body. And so um, it'll be fun to... Um, fly over to your district that you're governing and high-five you in your, in your new government. Okay. <laughs> what does harachita mean? Harachita. Want to know what harachita means? Let me tell you. About 13 years ago, I'm in Israel guiding a tour. <laughs> Calvary Chapel, North Shore is there. That worship leader played guitar taught me a word in your language, your native language here. He said, Harachida. <laughs> and I said, yay, now I know something. Years passed. I'm landing in Honolulu. Check into the hotel. And I say to the front desk lady, Harachida. <laughs> and they look at me. And I say, Harachita. And so ma maybe I'm pronouncing it wrong. Harachita. <laughs> Come to understanding that there is no such a word. <laughs> I was fooled by a young Gentile. <laughs> and that happened on the mountains of Israel. Payback is on its way. Yeah. <laughs> Cheetos. Okay. Here's a good one. How close is Iran to using the nukes? In order for Iran to use the nuke, Iran needs to have the nuke. In order for them to have the nuke, they need to get the world off their back and out of their hair. And in order to do that, they need a deal. In order to have the deal, their demand was remove the sanctions first. What did, what happened last night? Sanctions were removed. So now you can do your math. Do you want to add something? 
you would never dream this would have ever could have happened to an ally to Israel, which we know Iran wants to develop their nuclear program, ultimately for their sick play of their Shiite end times eschatological plan to bring the world under submission to Allah. Israel is the little Satan. They see, say it all the time. The United States is the great Satan. They think it's an absolute joke in the Middle East that we have committed political and social suicide, giving them the pathways to acquire what they believe to be the tool for advancement of their end times Islamic scenario. Welcome to the planet of the apes. How close is Israel to building the temple and having all the things in place to do it? Well, there is today a, uh, an institute called the Temple Institute that is dedicated to recreate the vessels of the temple. There's also blueprints of the actual building that is going to be built in Jerusalem. The only thing that stops the Jewish people from building the temple in Jerusalem is no the dome is not a problem because a the temple doesn't have necessarily to replace the dome there's a, a great saying that north of the dome lots of jews believe that that's what a temple was standing to begin with so if a third temple is standing there it's still okay the, and even if the dome has been removed and it has to be removed you know when by the way it will be. If it's not going to be destroyed through war, it will be destroyed through an earthquake. Because the Bible says that there is going to be a major earthquake that is going to split Mount of Olives and split everything along its uh, way. And eventually water, because everything split, water will gush out of the Temple Mount and create a river that Ezekiel talks about that the river is a river that goes down to heal the Dead Sea eventually. And, and, and the Dead Sea will be healed. But Zechariah gives us another interesting uh, uh, piece of information. Zechariah says half of the river will go east and the other half will go west. So and it will connect the Mediterranean with the Dead Sea. So it will be a med-dead um, 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 river, basically. And that explains why Ezekiel said that the fish in the Dead Sea will be the same type of those of the Mediterranean. They'll swim up the river, down, and multiply themselves. Now, there's no fish in the Dead Sea. It's a Dead Sea, 30% salt. No fish can live there. But the, when fresh water will come out, it will revive two-thirds of the Dead Sea, and the last third, it will remain as marshland. Now, having said that, the, still, I did not answer the question, what will cause the temple to finally be built, the third temple. The rise of the Antichrist, exactly. Remember, the prophet Daniel in chapter 9 said that the last week of Daniel's 70 weeks, and a week in that prophetic language is a set of seven years. The last week... Those last seven years, which, by the way, are all about Israel, the people, and the land. It's not about you. The last week will begin when that man 
who will originally come from the same area where the Roman Empire came, when he will, and, and that's where your Bible is wrong, not your Bible, but your translation. The translation in your ba uh, language says he will confirm a covenant. Well, the Hebrew doesn't say confirm. The Hebrew says increase. Increase. Hegbir in Hebrew, which means any peace offer that has been on the table so far will be nothing compares to the new one that will be way more spectacular. Now, so far, all the peace deals between Israel and the Arab world and, the, and Palestine, whatever it is, never included a temple for Israel. Never. What is the increase? What is the made the ordinary extraordinary? Made the simple something amazing? For the first time in 2,000 years, the Jews will be allowed to build a temple. Because in order for the for him to stop the sacrificial ceremonies halfway through, they have to have the temple standing first and the sacrificial animals uh, to be uh, sacrificed for the first three and a half years. So the Antichrist will rise, introduce peace to the Middle East. The temple it will be a result thereof. The Jews will be f amazed. Peace temple, messianic aspiration, and then when the time comes, he will show his true face, demand to be worshipped in that temple as if he is God, and that's when all hell breaks loose for the people of Israel. We're not here. And this is when they better run. And this is why God prepared for them a place for how many days? Twelve hundred and sixty days this is exactly what revelation 12 says that the women that gave birth to the messiah to that son which is the nation of israel will 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 be in the desert and the lord will you know provide for them god is going to keep the remnant of the jewish people that did not receive the mark and did not worship the beast and did not look to worship the beast is to agree and believe that he is God. He did not ask for it in the first three and a half years. Only at the meeting point, or at the, at the halfway, he is going to declare himself as God. In the very beginning, Jews will be deceived because they think, oh, he's the Messiah. Now, in the Jewish mindset, Messiah is not God, remember. So, he's a great guy. He brings, you know, prosperity and peace and temple. Can't get better than this. And boom, comes the reality that actually he wants to be declared as God. And this is where the faithful Jews, those who did not, you know, that will not say, oh, you're God. They will flee and be sheltered for 1260 days. Now bear in mind, the church is not even mentioned in this whole scenario. We're not here. We don't have to be sheltered for 1260 days. We don't have to run away from the Antichrist. We are with Jesus Christ already. Amen. Okay. Oh, you want to say something? Okay, well, that leads us right into our next question. Who do you think the Antichrist is, and what nation will he come out of? If you wish for me to know who he is, that means you wish for me to be left behind. <laughs> 
<laughs> the believer will not see the rise of the Antichrist because the rise of the Antichrist marks the beginning of the tribulation. Capish? Yeah. We are not to see the Antichrist. We're to see Jesus. Remember, we, this is not for us. The seven years, the seven years of tribulation is Jacob's trouble. I will say something very, very, I would say, um, uh, radical right now. Watch this. The tribulation is for Israel's salvation. Has nothing to do with the church. Now, just like in the last 2,000 years, which is the time of the Gentiles, some Jews joined the party. In the seven years, it's about Israel, and some Gentiles will join the party. You understand? But the focus is shifting back to Israel. This is the last week. Look, between the 69 weeks that passed and the last week that will come, in the, in, this is the church era. We're now living in it, but the, the time is coming when that's it. And only then, as Romans 11 says, when the time of the Gentiles will come in, then all Israel will be saved. But in order for Israel to be saved, unfortunately, they have to go through the trouble known as Jacob's trouble. And this is a sobering thing. Think about it. If you hold an opinion that the Jews do not need Jesus, what are you actually doing? You are actually ushering them into the tribulation. But if you share with them now, you may cause some of them not to go through the tribulation. You see, yeah. because when a Jew becomes a believer, automatically he is part of the bride. Okay? You understand that? I live in a Weird position where I'm Israeli, but I hold a heavenly passport. I'm a Jew, but most of my brothers and sisters are pig-eating Gentiles. I, uh, yeah, I, am, I, I I'm sorry, but <laughs> I, you understand uh, that the bottom line is, it's nice to be a Jew. However, it's more important to be a believer. And Jesus, when he was reading from Isaiah in the synagogue in Nazareth, he was a Jew reading to Jews in a synagogue. No, Jesus was not a Christian. You know that. He never, ever, ever, ever accepted Christ into his heart. <laughs> he is Christ. Hello. Jesus never even preached from the New Testament one time. Hello. My point is, he is there in Nazareth preaching to the Jewish people from Isaiah that the Spirit of the Lord is upon him. And they were like, yay! And then he closed that book, returned it to the attendant, and he said, I know what you think. You probably say to yourself, you say in your heart, physician, heal yourself. What we heard that you did in Capernaum, do also here. It's Jack in the Box time. It's, it's, uh, it's, it's miracle evening time. <laughs> Just do something. Let's see. Huh? We've heard some amazing things you did. Huh? The blind see, the lame walk, the dead are, uh, you know, right. Come on. You're from our little town. It's, 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 it's an honor. And he says, hmm, wrong attitude. 
And then he said, many widows were in Israel in the time of Elijah. But actually to none of them Elijah was sent. But to a widow in Zarephath in southern Lebanon. And then he said, many lepers were in Israel in the time of Elisha. But none of them was cleansed. But actually Naaman the Assyrian. In other words, Jesus said to them, salvation is not by affiliation. And I will end up with this. No one on planet earth can be born a Christian. The fact that it says Christian on your birth certificate is a lie. <laughs> your birth certificate should say sinner. That's it. You were born sinners. No one, because in order to believe in Jesus and in order to accept him, in order to become a Christian, you must be born again. So you cannot be born, born again. You have to be first born, then believe in him, and then be born again. So no one on planet earth has ever been born a Christian. And it's important that you understand that because if you think that being a Jew gives you a ticket to heaven, no. But if you think that having been born to a Christian family and it says Christian is your ticket to heaven, you're wrong again. Okay? Salvation is not by affiliation. Um, Next question. <laughs> okay, this is one we get a lot from people. Um, will we know each other in heaven? Absolutely. Next question. <laughs> now, let me substantiate that. Well, I guess we're not going to get any dumber, right? <laughs> um, we have many examples of people that have died and that are recognizable. Uh, there's a situation where Samuel, totally unideal scenario that was sinful in how Saul conjured up Samuel to ask him for some help in a situation he had. Um, he was recognizable, and that was the afterlife before Jesus came. So if that was true and people recognizable in that state, with our new bodies, with the perfection of our identity of who we really are, your soul is eternal. And if you're known in this sinful fallen body that's changing fast in a deteriorating way, you can only imagine how recognizable and how much more people appreciate your new body. So th this is really my opinion, but I think it's really kind of one of those obvious uh, by deduction as you look at all of Scripture. Um, even you see the new heaven and the new earth, there seems to be a community, there seems to be power, and there seems to be relationships, there seems to be all the components of uh, relationships that uh, know each other. So the answer, I think, is uh, probably absolutely yes. If, and I, I probably would at least give my right arm of confidence for that. Amen, amen. And we will all look good. <laughs> and we will never be late. Never. This is a good question. I, I think, Mike, you touched on it a little bit. Uh, will, why will God allow sacrifices in the tribulation and the millennium? I thought Jesus Christ was the final sacrifice. Well, we just heard from Mike that this is a symbolic way to show the sacrifice that has been already given uh, for us. For, to those who don't even relate to it because they are born many, many hundreds of years after. But it is by no means a way to have your sins atoned. That's not in the scripture in regards to that particular thing. By the way, that's not the only thing. There's, how about, how about Zechariah 14, 
that says that at the very end, all nations that survived the tribulation, all, will have to come up to Jerusalem every year on the Feast of Tabernacles and worship the king there. Every year. And then the Bible goes on and says, and a nation that will not do that, the blessing of God will not be upon them. They won't have rain. Now, think about it. It's not celebrating Christmas or celebrating Easter and egg hunting and all that. This is to celebrate the Feast of Tabernacles. So you're probably going to say, wait a minute, I thought the law was fulfilled. And you know, This is to celebrate what? To celebrate God tabernacles among his people. And by the way, that alone tells me that if there is a commandment to do that, not all people are saved. That's why there is an order. You must come. Because if you don't come, blessing will not be upon you. You understand that? Now think about people invest in crypto and all of that thing. Think about investing in hotels in Jerusalem. <laughs> think about it. Airlines, Air Messiah, Messiah Airways, Jesus Airlines, all, all of the, I mean, people will have to come every year, not just once, every year, every nation on planet Earth will have to come to Jerusalem to celebrate the Feast of Tabernacles. You see? And so I'm saying to myself, it's beyond just a sacrifice in a, in, in a temple. It's an annual thing that all people must, must perform in order to enjoy the, 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 the blessing. Now, do we need as resurrected, as glorified body, as now we are maybe ambassadors, but we're going to be governors and judges. You can actually already print a card. <laughs> the, the card is this. I'm ambassador, this and this, and future governor. Because you're going to govern with him. You're going to rule with him and reign with him and judge with him. So we will not need that for ourselves. We don't have to come to Jerusalem as glorified body believers who reign with him and rule with him. But the rest of the people, the subjects of our reign, because we're, <laughs> we're going to reign over someone. What's the point of reigning and there's no one to reign over? Okay, These people, not all of them will be believers. And these people will have to go to Jerusalem every year. Amen. Are you looking to Amen. reigning with them? Looking forward to that? And you'll be able to give stock tips to the people that he's ruling over. This is a great question right here. Um, how does Ezekiel 38 compare to Revelation 20 pertaining to Gog and Magog? How does that correlate? Yeah, many people confuse the two and think that they're the same. When you think that they're the same, you, your chronologies of the end times just blow up with chaos. Now, there are precedent in the scriptures. Uh, for example, the word Babylon is used interchangeably, not always referring to the city. Uh, Peter used it to reference Rome. Um, it, as it was actually a tower that was constructed in the book of Genesis. Gog and Magog in Ezekiel is a real war 
we see that all of the elements for that war are in place today. And let me say this, kids, teenagers, you don't necessarily have a huge context of life, but your grandparents and your parents do. Russia and Iran and Turkey for the last five to seven years have been operating in Syria. This is happening. The Bible also predicted that Israel would come back to life. It did in 1948. That's Ezekiel 36 and 37. Gog and Magog is a predicted invasion that is supposed to happen where these countries, Russia, Iran, Turkey, with Libya and Sudan, will come to take plunder of Israel. You are sitting on the front row seat of that happening. Now, at the end of the millennia, or at the, at the, the other one that's referenced in uh, Revelation, Gog and Magog, it references a international, global attempt to take on Israel, okay? And that will be the same kind of spirit, same kind of intentions as the original Gog and Magog. Terms are used in the biblical mind, particularly the Jewish mind, to reference past events to say here it will be just like that in the past, except the conditions will be slightly different. When you confuse the two and think they're the same event, your whole end time scenario just blows up with chaos. It doesn't work. And I know you have some things to add to that. Yes. Um, the term Gog and Magog is only in the New Testament. The term Gog of the land of Magog is the Old Testament term. These are two different things. And you have to understand that sometimes the Bible uses the spirit of one to describe what the other is. The spirit of the first is that there's dark forces coming against God's people to utterly destroy them. That same spirit migrated also in the end times, at the end of the millennial kingdom, to God's people and how the enemy wants to destroy them. There's major differences because in, in Ezekiel, it's only coming basically from the north, he says, whereas in Revelation, it's from the four corners of the world. In Ezekiel, is a coalition of real countries that have leaders, whereas in in Revelation, it's Satan gathers people. It's not, you know, necessarily a, the, the president of Russia or something. So there's a lot of differences between the two, but the spirit is the same. And and just like uh, many 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 of us, uh, even you know, Bruce Willis had this movie uh, Armageddon. You know, it had nothing to do with really <laughs> Armageddon, but it's the spirit of something catastrophic that is going to happen and maybe destroy the earth. All of that, that's, that is a, a, a something that is ringing in people's ears as catastrophe, end time, big thing. But in reality, Armageddon is Har Megiddo. It's, a, it's a, a battle in Jerusalem that will start when all the armies will gather in the valley of Megiddo uh, utterly to come against Jerusalem and destroy and fight Jesus eventually. But my point is that sometimes the Bible gives us an actual event and then describes something futuristic of the same spirit of that actual event. For example, when Jesus is coming back in 
um, <coughs> sorry that it's a long answer, but it's very important. Um, in Zechariah, okay, chapter 12, Zechariah chapter 12, okay, it says the following thing about uh, his second coming, okay? It says um, here, sorry, mine is Hebrew, okay, here it is, Zephaniah, okay, so what, wh look what he says, the return of Jesus in chapter 12, it says the following thing, and I will pour on the house, and I'm reading from verse 10, I'll pour on the house of David and on the inhabitants of Jerusalem the spirit of grace and supplication, then they will look on me whom they pierced. Yes, they will mourn for him as one mourns for his only son and grieve for him as one grieves for a firstborn. And now comes the analogy. In that day shall be a great mourning in Jerusalem like the morning at Hadad Rimon in the plain of Megiddo. So you see that future event will, will actually have the same type of mourning that was in the very past. And it is also related to Megiddo. So what happened in Megiddo 30, uh, and 2,600 years ago, that same mourning will repeat itself amongst the Jews when Jesus is going to come back. So you see, the, the word is there, but it is reminding you that that which happened early, that same thing can happen also in the future. Sorry, it's a long answer, but... This are, are we the generation that shall not pass away of Matthew 24 <clears throat> based on Israel becoming a nation again in 1948? Yes. Next question. Well, let's, I mean, it's very Amen. simple. It's very, very simple. Israel is likened in the Bible to three main trees. Olive, vine, and fig. Watch this. You, the Christians, the olive and the vine were a symbol of Israel's uh, a spiritual and religious uh, privileges. And you now have been grafted into that olive tree. You are now the vine as well. And, and you're part of the vine. And, and, and so spiritually, you're now part of the family. But the only tree you cannot be part of is the fig, because the fig was national Israel. It's the relations to the land and to the city to the flag, to the hymn, whatever it is. You can be a born-again believer but still be a resident of Hawaii and America is your country and, and uh, uh, you, you have a national hymn, you have your flag. Israel is not your country. The, the fact that you become a believer doesn't make you Israelis. You see, you may have the spiritual privileges, religious ones. You may be grafted into the olive tree and the, fig and the uh, uh, vine, but you are not the fig tree you are the generation that see the fig tree. See the difference? So when you see the fig tree comes back to life, which means when you witness the rebirth of Israel, 
as a generation, that generation shall not pass away. So this is an amazing way for us to understand that we don't have to be, as a believer, I don't have to be a Jew. <laughs> but I have to acknowledge what God is doing with the Jews. Yeah. To understand where I'm at in the prophetic timeline. You see the difference? Well, I want to be a Jew. Go ahead, be a Jew. <laughs> you, know, uh, <laughs> you know, Paul was traveling around and was preaching. And then the minute Paul would leave, someone will sneak in and say, did you hear what he said? Yes. Yeah, he just, you know, did he tell you, old men, that you have to circumcise? All the men looked at each other. No, he didn't say that. Yes, he meant to tell you that. You have to, you know, what are you, 45, 50? You have to be circumcised. Oh, that changes the picture. <laughs> and then Paul heard that everywhere he goes, someone else is coming right after him and telling people that they must be circumcised. This is why there was a first church council in Jerusalem where they determined that this is not of God. And this is the first time Jews understood what it means to be provoked to jealousy by what God is doing with the Gentiles. Because what Peter said is this. Peter was standing and says, look, guys, I know you talk, but hey, I'm the person that God first told to go to a Gentile family and to give them the gospel. And I'm telling you, if we, the Jews, can barely carry the burden of fulfilling the law, why would we even suggest that they need to? We actually need to be like them. Faith is by the grace of God, believing only, not by fulfilling the law or keeping the law. And so first time ever, a Jew is provoked to jealousy by what God is doing in the Gentiles. And, and so you have the privilege of not having to be under the law and yet to see what God is doing with those that are under the law. We watch the fig tree comes back to life. We are the generation that shall not pass away. Amen? Yeah, amen. Go ahead, clap. That's good. <laughs> but I also want to encourage you is that that means it's coming quick. And we need to be about the Father's business. Amen? What is the origin of the Star of David for the Jewish people, and is it mentioned in the Bible? It, it is not mentioned in the Bible. And <laughs> at the time of Jesus, it wasn't even a Jewish symbol. The Jewish symbol at the time of Jesus... In other words, what I'm trying to say, if you're an archaeologist, an established archaeologist, and you dig, and you find a 2,000-year-old city in Israel, and you find a Star of David, you're not going to jump into a conclusion this is Jewish. Why? Because the same Star of David had been found also in India and in so many other places. Mm -hmm. However, what is it 
What is the sign? What is the symbol? That once you find it, it had to have been a Jewish place. The seven branches candelabra. You understand? That's Jewish. That's biblical. This is, you can find it. That's the ultimate. This is why, by the way, the Star of David may have been on a symbol on the flag of Israel. But the emblem of the state of Israel is not the Star of David. It's the seven branches candelabra and the two olive branches on the sides. Just as the, the vision of Zechariah. So we must remember, Star of David is more the product of the last two, three hundred years. When Jewish people had to mark, Jewish people cannot use molded or graven images. So they were always using geometrical structures. Always. Believe it or not, in some synagogues from 2,000 years ago, even the swastika was used because it was just a geometrical structure. And it was beautifully integrated in mosaic floors. You can even see that when you go to Magdala on the floor of the synagogue. Okay? So they refrained from having faces of people or animals. And this is why they adopted a lot of geometrical structures. Okay? Fast forward, when Jews marked their boundaries of a town or villages in Eastern Europe, they added the Star of David as how they are marking their own territory in wherever they lived. Fast forward, Holocaust. That which the Jewish people used to identify their place is now becoming the way to identify them as Jews in order to kill them. And so you understand that in the mindset of the world, a Star of David is now equal to a Jewish symbol. But if you go back 2,000 years ago, Star of David was not a Jewish symbol. And you see a Star of David, it, it's, it's not anything different than a swastika. Look, if I show you a swastika, the first thing that comes to your mind is Nazi. But what if I show you a swastika from 1,500 years ago? Is it Nazi? No. Because everything we, we think is based on our life experience in the last couple hundred years that we are more familiar with. But star, swastika is as Jewish as the Star of David is Nazi. You see, what I'm trying to say is that, or maybe I, I you know, gave a, my point is the Nazis adopted something that had been there for a long time. The Jews had adopted something that had been there for the longest time. But a Jewish symbol, biblical symbol, that when you dig and find and you know this has to have been a Jewish place, it was the seven branches candelabra. So it's not mentioned in the Bible, the Star of David. And if you really are into, okay, what is the ultimate Jewish symbol? It's the menorah and not the Star of David. How do you see the Vatican in the tribulation? Could the Vatican be the woman riding the beast? Well, it could. <clears throat> what we do know, let's talk about what we do know, and then we'll say what we don't know. We do know that the world and world religious systems, including Roman Catholicism, especially Roman Catholicism, which finds its roots in Europe, um, which is also where the Antichrist will come from, based on the latter half of Daniel's book, that every world religious system... Vatican, Islam, even Judaism, and many of the other uh, world religious systems will give away some of their core tenets so they can fit into 
the globalist values and world order. By the time we hit the tribulation, we'll have fully graduated into, you know, the coexist bumper sticker as being lived out by everybody. And I hope you know what I mean by the coexist bumper sticker. Have you, have you seen the coexist bumper sticker? It's a, it's a, peop, a bunch of people that want to coexist and have Jews and Muslims and Bo Buddhists all living in peace together. In order to get there, and, and they will get there, you have to... Yeah, he's seen them. Yeah. Yeah. We yeah. got bumper stickers everywhere. Yeah, so these movements still exist and are actually increasing. And um, so Roman Catholicism already is sacrificing its core beliefs to fit into all of the religious systems of the world. Uh, did you know that in Abu Dhabi there is uh, some designers putting together a pavilion, which will include a synagogue, a church, and a mosque, all in the name of monotheistic religions in unity. You can expect so much more of this. Now, let me say one thing before uh, I give Amir uh, to give his input. Europe, the old Roman Empire, the toes of Daniel, if you've studied that prophecy, the ten toes, the clay, and the iron, um, the, the religious system of Europe is... is absolutely Roman Catholic. Could it be, this is what we don't know, could it be with all this globalization and one world order that the Catholic Church, along with other world order systems, will compromise their core beliefs and jump onto the globalist one world order bandwagon and they will actually use their religion to preach that so-called gospel of the world. Uh, we don't know that. I think that's what's going to happen because we're already seeing that happen. Yeah. Well, I, I, I do believe that the Vatican is already a proponent of the one world religion. I also believe, if you really think about it, the pontifex, the, the, the title of the Pope, is the bridge. <laughs> Ponte, bridge. He's the bridge of different faiths and different religions. And I also want to refer you to a message that I gave. It's called the rise of the one world uh, religion, which, where I actually, in details, I show you all the different uh, uh, areas of life that the Vatican is now spearheading a new uh, uh, approach of the church where actually Christ is not part of because what the Catholic Church is being, has been, is being busy doing in the last 50 years is almost literally emptying itself from Christ and filling itself with the <clears throat> emerging um, uh, ecumenical effort to be the bridge of, to all religions. That's amazing because if a, a Jewish rabbi will come to visit a Muslim country, the red carpet is not going to be rolled out for him. But when the Pope comes to visit a Muslim country, you betcha, even in Israel, a Jewish one, you betcha that the, 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 the red carpet is going to be rolled for him. There is an amazing, amazing effort that is, by the way, more than ever before under the leadership of this uh, uh, Pope, is it's being instigated um, uh, to lead a new movement that is about global 
warming and all of that thing, the climate change that is about accepting LGBTQ agenda, that is about um, embracing Islam as co-faith uh, ex co that r reaches God as well. You, don't, you know, when a pope says that you don't have to belong to the church in order to be saved, all you need to do is you have to live under the influence of the beatitudes of being a good person. That's it. When, when a pope says that um, evolution actually is valid and God doesn't have a magic wand where he creates things, you know, you see all of that. So evolution is being, uh, is being embraced and creation is rejected. You know, all, everything that the Bible tells us you should not practice is back to being embraced. And the thought that we can change the climate. Think about it. We can change climate. We. Look at us. We can change climate. Come on. Let's get real. Sin caused this planet to be the way it is. And when you don't address that, all your efforts are going to, you know, you know, completely disappoint you, okay? And on the altar of climate change, we're going to sacrifice people, businesses, countries, economies, for what? For half a degree. And eventually this planet is going to be burned anyway. It's very sad, but I'm just saying, when you see that the church becomes, you know, a spearhead of, of this whole thing, you ask yourself, is it the same church I know from years ago or is it a new you know what they do in America I learn they take a law empty it gut it and they put new content in it and present it as that law but actually it's a different thing that's what they did with the NASA law in, in the last I don't know a few weeks they <laughs> it's all, it was all about Election, new election methods of no need or ID, but it's all called NASA because it was originally the NASA legislation gutted and everything about the election is, has been injected into it. This is what we see. Something that may have started as, you know, it's about Christ, it's about the Bible, it's about, and now it only has the name, it has the shell. And remember, the last thing I will say is this. There are two beasts, not only one, two beasts in Revelation. One is on earth, familiar, that looks like a, a lamb, and it has some religious connotation to it. The other one is coming from the sea. The first one is going to validate the second one. The first one is going to cause everyone to believe in the second one. So there has to be a religious system in place already that will help to validate the rise of the political leader that will come out of nowhere. He's not someone we know. He's out of the sea. He doesn't exist. It's a politician the world has never seen before. I, 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 I don't think we can even call him a politician. He's a world leader unlike anything the world has ever seen before. This is Satan almost incarnated, but it's not. It's Satan is giving him his authority. But, but you understand, who is going to cause everyone to worship that guy? It's the other beast. It's going to become a religious authority that will give a stamp of approval to a political system 
with all that it has to do with, you know, all the agendas thereof. Do you know of any prophecy that needs to be fulfilled prior to the rapture? If so, what? If there's any prophecy that needs to be fulfilled before the rapture, <clears throat> Jesus in Matthew 24 warned of specific birth pangs. We also know that the apostles, it says in the last days, you will see scoffers and make fun of you for believing in the second coming. There will be uh, a, an apostasy. We have warned that in the last days, there will be a falling away from good doctrine. We see all of those things happening right now. We're, we're warned of a global world order. We see it in its full throttle um, reality in Revelation chapter 17 and 18. Okay, we, uh, and, and, and let's say you say, ah, we've already seen all that throughout human history. I'm going to come back to the generation that won't pass away. In the late 1800s, there was a revival of Bible scholarship. People were starting to study the Bible like never uh, before since the first century. And these Gentile scholars were saying that th the big thing that needs to be fulfilled before the rapture is Israel coming back to its land? People thought it was a joke. People thought it was um, a fantasy. Um, and maybe you know the story or not, but in the late 1800s, a Jewish journalist from Hungary went to Paris. His name is Theodor Herzl to do some research, and he uncovered a case of how the French Captain Dreyfus, under the war with Germany, was framed by selling secret plans to Germany because he was Jewish. They didn't like he was Jewish. Theodore Herzl in the late 1800s, along with Christian scholars, and they didn't even know each other, predicted that there should be a Jewish nation again. So, to answer the question, all of what I've just mentioned, scoffers, apostasy, lawlessness, all of that, you could argue, has always been a part of human history. But the fig tree, the national promises of the people of, of Israel coming back to their homeland is a critical component that really offsets and puts us on the front row seat. And, and if you want to add to that, you've got... Russia, Iran, and Turkey that are predicted to be in the north of Israel to invade. If that's not enough, there are two regions that will criticize this invasion led by Russia called Sheba and Dedan. Already in 2020, the Abraham Accords with Trump established peace with those regions and Israel. I never thought in my lifetime he, as an Israeli, would have two conferences in Dubai in the United Arab Emirates, much less filming for the new book that we've just produced called Operation Yoktan. Okay, I'll put my plug into that for just a second later. But the answer is Israel coming back to its land, apostasy, lawlessness, scoffers, a lot of these birth pangs Jesus mentioned, specifically with pestilences, nation rising up against nation, which really in Greek says ethnos versus ethnos. There should be an increase of ethnic groups fighting against each other. These are merely birth pangs before the great tribulation that is to come. And if the apostles said 
the rapture occurs before the tribulation. If the early church fathers said that the rapture would occur before the, uh, the tribulation, we are dead center in the midst of birth pangs right now. So much so that even non-believers are starting to ask the question. Can I also say something? Um, <clears throat> I'll take you back to the letter that Paul wrote to the Thessalonians. It's the only church, by the way, that Jews did not uh, exist there. Therefore, it's the only letter that he didn't quote Old Testament verses because there's no point. But I want you to know that Paul uh, wrote to the Thessalonians uh, something very interesting. It's the key to your uh, question, uh, Pastor Steve. And it, it says this. He says, for the Lord himself, he described to the Thessalonians what's going to happen. He says, for the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with a voice of an archangel, and with a trumpet of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first. Then, say then. Then we, say we. We that are alive and remain, that are alive and we, Paul said we, that are, in other words, 2,000 years ago, Paul was convinced that it can happen at his time. Paul actually was looking forward to the rapture. Paul did not even mention the tribulation even one time in this whole scripture. Why? This has nothing to do with the tribulation. Tribulation is not the time frame that has to, see, the rapture is detached from the tribulation. It's not part of the tribulation. And it could have happened 2,000 years ago, but it didn't. And so here we are 2,000 years later. And just as Mike said, we, unlike Paul, can see all these things that happen. How much more we should, we now can say, now we can read this whole scripture and say we and, and, and be even, even more confident. So I will say this. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. Okay? So it's important that we understand the imminency of, this, of, 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 of the rapture, but how much more if it didn't happen at his time, it should happen in our time because of everything else that Mike just referred to that we can say we see and he didn't. Now, you're probably asking, why would Paul be wrong about thinking that he is going to be raptured? He wasn't wrong. This is exactly the attitude every believer must live his life with. The expectancy of his rapture any, in any given moment. And that answers also why God never gave us the date. <laughs> Think about it. If God would have given us the date, let's say May 21st, 2023. Half of you would be in Vegas until then. <laughs> no, my expectancy... Fiji. <laughs> Fiji. Expectancy without knowing the day keeps you ready at all time. 
it keeps you holy, it keeps you, uh, it keeps you pure. In, in, it, 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 there's nothing better than being ready. Look, when the rapture happens, some people will be awake in this part of the world. Some others will be asleep on the other side of the world. You don't have to be ready when it comes to dressed up and ready on a mountaintop. No. It can happen whenever. But as long as you're ready, who cares when? The Bible says it will happen at a time we do not expect. So we need to be ready if it happens at a time we do not expect. And this is exactly why imminency is an is a, is, is a, is a important principle in the teaching of the rapture of the church. Okay, we got time for a couple more questions. How close are we to Ezekiel 38? I can start by saying that uh, we've never been closer. <laughs> A, because today is today and it's not yesterday. But also because literally all the players are the, at the place on the stage. And it's, it's just a matter of time. Now, <clears throat> and it's important that you understand that. The rulers of Russia and Turkey and Iran do not necessarily understand their role. God knows their role. Why? Because God can see the future. God is telling us what is going to happen, not what might happen. What had happened already in his mind. He saw it. Pastor Chuck used to say that it's just like a parade where we are right at the curb side and we see only a portion, but God sees from above. He can see the whole parade. We can only see one portion. See, but God sees the whole thing. He can already see what is going to happen, who is going to do what, how and when. And therefore, prophecy is not a suggestion. It's not a maybe, could be, possibly. Prophecy is everything that had already happened. It's just that we haven't seen it yet. Because we are at that part in that parade that we haven't seen it coming yet. But God already saw it. So God, by his grace, gave us Bible prophecy not to scare us, but to prepare us. Because these things are going to happen. And believe it or not, the Antichrist will rise. Oh, I will not allow it to happen. Good luck with that. <laughs> believe it or not, Ezekiel war will take place. Why? Because God... It's not that God says, I really, really want a war there. No. God is allowing those leaders who think they know what they're doing to do what they want to do. But then, whoop, he's going to judge them for it. He took him 70 years to judge Babylon. He, said, he allowed Babylon to do what they wanted to do. But 70 years later, at the very end, he judged them. Because he never told them to do it. He allowed them to do what they wanted to do. But if you do something against my people, you will have to pay for it. And that is exactly what's going to happen. So God will allow whoever is going to lead Russia or Iran or Turkey and Libya and Sudan. He's allowing them to do that. But get, guess who gets the glory? Guess why he's allowing them? Because he is going to humiliate them. He is going to crush them. And he's not going to do it. By using Israeli technology. God is not going to use Israeli military assistance. Nowhere in Ezekiel, Israel wins the war. God wins the war. Yeah. 
And he's not winning the war by means of Israeli military technology. What is he going to do? Earthquakes and hail and all of that. It's going to be supernatural things that will happen because God is going to get the glory eventually. Amen? Ezekiel 38 is around the corner. And that's interesting because look, God says at the very end of Ezekiel 38, I will do that. I will allow that to happen. That the nation, I will win. I will fight. I will win. That the nations will know that I am the Lord. God always has in mind the Gentiles. Whatever he does with Israel, through Israel, for Israel, in Israel, it's not just for Israel. It's that the nations, you're not plan B. You're not, you're not, you know, second best. God is using Israel to reach out to you. Okay? But then he warns you, don't be boastful. Don't think that you have replaced them. I'm not done with them yet. Be careful. Can you tell us about the meaning of the number of the beast? Revelation 13, 18. Okay, so I'll, I'll comment briefly on the, uh, this coming war um, before I comment on the mark of the beast. This is cool, and I think you'll appreciate that I say this. So I thought I would take this Ezekiel 38 and 39 and give uh, a sermon uh, in the military communities. So I've spoken in several military communities, on base, off base, and it never fails that even commanders will come after and just say, wow, how do you know all this? And I'm like, well, it's just basically two chapters, Ezekiel 38 and 39, and then just looking at the makeup of today's Middle East and what's going on. And you can see the concern in their eyes because many of them have deployed to these regions and they know what's going on. They've had the intelligence reports of advancements of Russia's agenda, Iran's agenda, and Turkey's agenda. They know. And it's almost like a shiver goes down their spine that somebody like myself just flies in from nowhere, sits down in the chapel, and preaches this, and it's like, you're telling me everything that I was just taught in a brief with the commanders from the Pentagon just a few days ago. And it, it's really kind of frightening for some of these people. Because it, 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 it shows you how, how their, their spirituality is on the grid. Are they really walking with Jesus with confidence, knowing that, hey, this is, this is old as the, the 4th, 5th century B.C.? That's when it was predicted. In addition to that, before I answer the 666 question, this book that he and Steve wrote is a fiction thriller, okay? And it's... It starts with a Mossad operator, he's intelligence, and I'm not going to share the story because I want you to read the book. There's also an audio version for those of you who don't like to read. My son and I went through that entire thing so I could get him to pass his class. Anyway, that's a <laughs> different story. The things they talk about in this book are self-evident truths readily available to anybody that's deployed in any military community over there. And the Israelis have known this all along. And his contacts and the friends he has in the community created this creative way to just kind of engineer what could take place in the future. What could take place. It's an action th fiction thriller. We're seeing right now the whole premise of the terror attack that is, is put out in this book is now being talked about 
in the country of Yemen. And that's all I'm going to say. That's all I'm going to say, because you need to buy the book. Drop the mic. <laughs> I don't care if you buy the book or not. But I do want to tell you that um, two weeks ago, it was Yemen. But a few days ago, what I predicted here, that it's going to come from Iraq, two days ago, it actually happened. So the Yemen was almost two days ago. It was exactly. So this is awesome because, awesome, I don't wish any terror attack to happen, but, but at least I know that somebody in Iraq is reading my book. Hello? <laughs> <laughs> it, it's just, it's, it's, it's the self-evident truths that we just put a light on. Now, 666, Mark of the Beast, it is the number of a man. The number of God is seven. In seven days, God created the world, took rest on the seventh day. Seven has been a classic number of perfection within the Jewish worldview. When you come to this place in Scripture, in Revelation, man-centric will be the whole new world order. Look at the glory of man, the glory of ba the Tower of Babel. Look, let us build a temple or a, or a tower let us, let us do a great city or whatever. Babylon, make a name great for ourselves. This is something, build back better. Build back disaster. Which really is how this is going to end. It's going to end in a disaster. I'm going to throw something. So that's what we do know. It'll be necessary to buy and sell. So, tribulation saints will be in the doghouse. It's going to be a very sad era because when confronted, they'll know what that means when the time comes. Is it going to be a tattoo? Is it going to be a microchip? We don't know. Don't know. Here is something I'm going to throw at you that's Mike Goulet's theory based on observation and what I, what I know from the culture of the Middle East and where this comes from. Take it or leave it. It says 666 in the Greek. In the Jewish culture, the power of three determines absolute certainty of a certain thing. So if I go to a friend and I'd say, how's it going? He'll say, good. If I say a second time, no, really, how is it really going? He'll say, eh, it's all right. If I ask a third time, he can say, my back is killing me which would be true. Now, Peter and Jesus in the end of John has the power of three as well. P Jesus asked Peter, do you love me? Do you agape me? Do you have unconditional love for me? He says, you know, I phileo you, he uses a different word, because he had violated Jesus and betrayed him how many times? Three. Why three? Because he wanted the persons that were accusing him of knowing Jesus that, dang it, I don't know this man, three times. So the community would have said, wow, he's really determining in an absolute truth. You go, you go to Jesus and Peter, Jesus says, the second time, do you agape me? He says, uh, I phileo you. It's almost like Peter feels unworthy to agape him because he knows that he's capable of betraying him with absolute power of three. And then the third time, Jesus uses the word phileo. Do you brotherly love me? And he says, yes, you know all things. I, you know that I brotherly love you. And Jesus says, each time, 
I'm giving you responsibility. So forgiveness is embedded within the statement. Forgiveness is a thing of the past. I'm entrusting you with leadership. Now you go to 666. It's the number of man. It's the world saying, darn it. Man, man, man. No, no, no to God. We don't want God. We don't want Jesus. In fact, if, he, if, we, if, if, if we smell this word, if it pops up, we're going to attack it. We're going to chop off heads. We're going to put Israel in the doghouse because the, wor the worship must go to our leader, the Antichrist. He's the only one that makes order of all this globalist chaos of lawlessness. And so my theory is, is that whatever this is, it's, if it's a tattoo, if it's a chip, it's going to be absolutely man-centric. And you will not be able to function unless you get that mark. The best of man and nothing from God. And we know that's going to change at the end of the tribulation where Jesus says, no. Yeah. And we must not take things out of context, which means the mark of the beast requires the beast. Hello? You cannot take the mark of the beast when the beast is not here yet. Hello? Which means nothing that is now being offered or even pushed is the mark Amen. of the beast. Amen. Be very Amen. careful because when you go down that road, what happens is you make people think we are in the tribulation already. And then what? Everything is messed up. I think we talked about what the tribulation is all about. Nothing that this world is going through right now or has gone through so far is even close to what the tribulation. Don't cheapen the tribulation. Don't sell it cheap. Don't think it's going to be, uh, you know, uh, some, some sort of, uh, oh, you know, just a requirement in order to fly or stuff like that. No, 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 no. That's not what the tribulation is. The mark of the beast is a token of worship of Satan as God, period. It has nothing to do with any medical issue whatsoever. And I'm not saying that um, we're not moving towards these type of things. Yes, we may, but we're moving towards this also when you're using Apple, when you're using your phone, when you talk to your neighbor about something and immediately Facebook will show you all the ads that yeah. about the very thing you just yeah. talked about. They listen to you. They know you. They understand your habit. They push. Their whole algorithm will push what they know you want. So everything around us is moving towards that. Let's not be selective and, 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 and use our iPhone to say that, you know, I will not be part of this, you know, when you're using your <laughs> iPhone and you just Google something. Yeah. Okay, we be, be very careful. Yeah. Okay, well, we're going to share one more, and I think this one is perfect because we wouldn't want you to leave today without knowing what the gospel is. And uh, Amir touched on it during his message that the reason we're here as believers is to get the gospel out. That's the Great Commission. And this question here is, how do I know if I'm saved, truly saved? First of all, 
These things I tell you that you may know that in me you have eternal life. In other words, Jesus is not suggesting that there is a way that you might not know. When you are saved, you know you are saved. When you are not sure if you are saved, then there's something that might not be there that right when it comes to your submission and complete giving Christ everything uh, you know in you. Now you have to be very careful um, not to become religious, God forbid, and then think that unless I do A, B, C, D, 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 all these, then I will not be saved. No. You have to understand, salvation is a free gift based on what he did already on the cross for us. There is nothing you can do now that will cause him to love you more than what he already had loved you when he gave his only begotten son. However, the Bible says that there is fruits to that salvation. In other words, can you imagine a, a, a serial killer <laughs> get saved and continue to kill people? <laughs> Is there anything that can testify of a, the, the Spirit of God working in him? Absolutely not, if that's what he can do. There is... The Spirit of God, whenever you surrender and whenever you believe, by the way, to believe is immediately to be saved, not to go through another three years in a doghouse and, and not to wait for a committee that will decide if you can or if you cannot. I mean, the guy that was with Philip in the carriage, if you remember, I mean, he, he didn't have to pass any tests to be baptized. Remember, <laughs> what will prevent me from getting baptized? Nothing, let's stop. And But remember... Remember, it manifests in us. We know that we are saved. And it's only because we believe in the finished work of Jesus on the cross. And from now on, not I live, but Christ lives in me. Okay? Now, if your life is about you live and not Christ live in you, you run the show, you decide you do not have this relationship Check if you're religious and not having a relationship with him because it's very, very different. You know, Jesus said, many will say, Lord, Lord, I did this in your name and that in your name. He says, I never knew you. How do you know someone when you have a relationship with him? Is he the, your life, your truth, your way, or just a life that you are only experiencing on a Sunday, because Monday, there is no church. You do something else. No. Jesus is everything. His work has, the finished work on the cross saved you, but now we know. And then James said what he said, because it's so true. It's so true. People ask me and said, um, isn't that true that, oh, okay, okay, goes like that. People criticizing me for saying that I question the salvation of someone who hates Israel. And I'm asking to myself, I don't, anyone who hates anyone, if I hate Asians or black people or, I'm not sure the Spirit of God is in me because you cannot say that you love him and hate your brother, you understand that? The problem, the problem is that the actions are the fruits 
of our faith. They're not a prerequisite to our faith, but they're the fruit thereof. And if the fruit of your faith is hatred, then I'm asking myself, are you truly saved? That's all. Because we cannot hate that which God loves. You understand that? If there is one thing that Jesus, that the Lord is going to judge the world at the very end, is how they, what they did to Israel. I'm talking about both um, Joel chapter 3, verses 1 and 2, and in Matthew 25 when the king comes and they, all the nations came and he separated the sheep from the goat. The criteria was what you did to those least, the least of my brethren. It's as if you did it unto me. So how can someone, I mean, this I tell you that you may know that you have eternal life. When you are truly a believer, it's not a question anymore. When you truly are born again, spirit-filled, it's not a question anymore. The enemy will try to attack you, but you know that you have eternal life. Remember, he said in John 3.17, he says that we are not condemned, but those who do not believe are what? Condemned, condemned already. Why? Because everybody we are condemned. We are the anomaly when we were plucked out of the condemned already and now moved to the not condemned anymore. Why? Because of what Jesus did. Okay? So if you do not believe in him, guess what? You're condemned already. But if you believe in him, you're now not condemned. And your name is written in the Lamb's book of life. And I think that the ink there is his blood, and it cannot be washed away. Amen? Amen. Amen. So we want to just thank you for hosting us today, and also Bruce uh, with the yeah. communications going into this. We're very honored to be here. This is a small island, small population, but we love um, uh, this island and... Uh, the churches here are dear to us, and we couldn't wait to come here. Okay. Yeah, all right. So we love you. Thank you. Yeah. We are, we are going to stick around for a few minutes after before we head out to lunch. I just want to really remind you that the resource table is here for your good. This book, Israel and the Church, I wanted to highlight because it really shows you the difference between God's plan with the church and Israel. And after reading this, you'll really have a lot of confidence to be able to interpret your Bible much more clearly, much more confidently, much more accurately. And then, of course, you've already heard about Operation Yoktan. I was wondering if we could just uh, stand. Can I commission you, can we commission you here in Hawaii with the information that you gathered today and your further research and Bible study to evangelize and disciple? And I want to pray a blessing over the churches Amen. here, too, if Absolutely. that's possible. So, Lord, we come before you and we thank you for all of the leaders that uh, pulled this off today. And I pray right now, Lord, that you will continue to give courage, patience, tenacity, perseverance to all of the church leaders here today. We thank you for their, their daringness to have us here. We thank you for every person here standing today that chose to come here and make this a priority out of their day. 
We pray that as they have had a lot of material thrown at them today, that you'd sort it out, that you'd give them a great opportunity as they pay it forward for the sake of the gospel here on the Hawaiian Islands. We thank you, Lord. We pray for a blessed rest of the day. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Amen.